and good evening everybody. It is Saturday night, December the 26th, year 2009, 7.28 here on the West Coast. Happy Christmas, plus one day. Anyway, we're going to share some uh, radio shows. First out, Theater Guild on the air. Um, this is happening Christmas Day, 1939. This is one of my Christmas gifts I got yesterday, and I thought I'd share with you. Then, we'll hear in roughly an hour the monthly show for the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. And for McGee Molly, I think it's the main theme of it, the Christmas show. Then Patricia will join me in two hours. And we will keep celebrating Christmas and have trivia, welcome your call. Talk about old time radio, whatever's in your mind, and you can still win prizes tonight. So, that is some of the goodies here on Yesterday USA. Hope you're all doing well. Let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this radio station. Bless this wonderful time of the year. Bless all the listeners and supporters. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Christmas Day, 1949. Theater Girl on the Air, it was a classic show, ran from 1945, I think, to about 1953 or so. And out of New York, it toured a prestige show out of New York. So, you're ready, I'm ready. Theater Guild on the air production of The Passing of the Third Floor Back, starring Paula Goddard and Sir Cedric Hardwick. Arthur Markinson, who is presently starring in Quarterbuck, and Danny Scholl, acclaimed for his performance in the delightful new musical Texas Little Darling. Remember, next week on the United States Steel Hour, Peter Lawford starring in While the Sun Shines. And remember, too, that the trademark of United States Steel. U.S.S. on any steel product is your guide to quality steel. The Theater Guild on the Air is under the supervision of Lawrence Langner and Teresa Halburn with our minor Marshall executive producer. S. Mark Smith is editor. Music is composed by and conducted by Harold Levy. Paula Goddard will soon be seen starring in the Eagle Lion production, The Torch. The passing of the third floor back was made available for radio through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. Producers of the motion picture Prince of Foxes, starring Tyrone Power. Your announcer is Norman Brokenshire. The United States Steel Corporation hopes that you'll be with us next Sunday at this same time. Now it was Christmas Day, 1949, and we're going to Get ready for the bottom of the hour to play the Radio Historical Association Colorado monthly show here in Yesterday USA. So we're going to play a little music here and get ready.
and that comes from the Charlie Brown Christmas album. And hope you enjoy that. And we'll probably hear a little more later. Anyway, Patricia should join me in an hour. And we welcome your phone call then at 714-545-2071. We got prizes. We got giveaways. We got trivia. We got fun. And we want you to join us at 714-545-2071 an hour. So we're about ready to join the monthly presentation from the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. Outstanding old-time radio club based in uh, Colorado. The website www.rhac.org. So with that, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for OTR from the Rockies. From the foot of the Rockies in Denver, Colorado, here's a program capturing the drama and fun of the golden days of broadcasting. Old time radio from the Rockies. Hello, this is Fred Hobbs. I'm speaking to you from the radio studios of RHAC, the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. And we're here to bring you interviews, historical information, book reviews, events, and fun for all on old-time radio, especially related to the Rocky Mountain region because that's where we're located. This time, it's Christmas on OTR from the Rockies, and the whole program will be devoted to the holiday entertainment provided by one of radio's all-time most popular shows, Bibber McGee and Molly. And here to introduce our first offering, in his Santa suit and his bag of old-time radio goodies, is our friend Bill McCracken. Bill, what's up first? Well, indeed, we will be doing Bibber McGee and Molly today. Part of our background here is... This is now our fourth Christmas on the air, and it turns out we've done something concerning Pilgrim McGee every single year, so why change, I guess, is the first part when we were figuring out the programming. And you're going to have a full... Patricia is going to join me here in a few minutes, and we're going to open the phone lines at 
2071. Want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas plus one day. Which, like me, you just celebrate Christmas year-round. Anyway, we're listening to the Charlie Brown Christmas album. And we just got done listening to the Radio Association of Colorado monthly show. Their website www.rhac.org. Radio His- Historical Association of Colorado. www.rhac.org. So stay tuned for Patricia and I will join you around the bottom of the hour. And enjoy a little more of the Charlie Brown Christmas music.
And there goes Charlie Brown. But here is Patricia. Hi, Patricia. Hello, Ruben. How are ya? We be good. How are you down there in Florida? I be very good, too. It is the tooth day after Christmas here in Florida. It's already the 27th, but you still have some day after Christmas. I still do. And I, uh... We are welcoming, we're opening the phone lines. You can call and talk to Patricia. What? And talk to me, but mainly with Patricia, at 714-545-2071. We have goodies. We, we have trivia. Yes, we do. We have fun. Yes, we do. We have... Us. Us. And so you can give us a call, the 714-545-2071, and we do have radio shows too, but mainly this is the time that we spend with you, and we love to talk to you. If you call Christmas Eve night, we welcome you back. If you didn't get a chance to call Christmas Eve night, we'd love to have you there too. And it didn't take too much effort tonight. Hello, caller. Hello. Fred again. Hi, Fred. How are you? Oh, good. I'm calling because I have to clear something up. Oh, no. I lied to Patricia the other night. Uh, <laughs> what did you do? I started thinking about my answer, and I started thinking about the date line, and I started thinking, wait a minute, it has, it, it has to do with the direction you're going in. It can't be as simple as they're behind and we're ahead. And I did a little research, and that is correct. If you're going east across the date line, you lose a day. Right. So, like, if it was Monday at 10 o'clock when you cross, it becomes Sunday at 10 o'clock when you cross. If you're going west, you gain a day. Okay. So, so if you're going west across the date line, and it's Tuesday at 10 o'clock when you cross, it becomes Wednesday at 10 o'clock when you go across. Now, at, at midnight in California, what day was it in? In Tokyo? Well, yeah, let's say Tokyo and then Honolulu. Well, see, I would, that all depends on, and I say it's 24 hours. Yeah. Also, is it really always true? It depends on the time zone of the area you're going into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roughly, I think, Japan from California, 18 hours. Yeah, what Tokyo is. I know for a fact Hong Kong is exactly 12 hours ahead of us. From where you are in Vermont. Right. So right now it is 12.32 uh, Sunday morning here. So it is 12.32... In the afternoon. Noon, Sunday, yeah. It, but it, it, 12.30 in the afternoon on Sunday or Monday? Oh, well, it's still... They're 12 hours ahead. 12 hours, so it's still Sunday. So, because you guys are just past midnight, just move the clock up, and so they're, just, they're having lunch. Right. Got it. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy a book. Now, now, Hawaii, Patricia, is six hours behind you. Okay. And Depending on the time of the year, but right now I think it's six hours. And so technically, I think Hong Kong is more than 12 hours, but the dateline comes into play there somewhere. Okay. 
Thank you. But in France, <laughs> there's more than 12 time zones between here and Hong Kong. But at some point, you cross the date line. Now, I never knew this until, um, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe when we were going through that whole thing about the 2000. There are, there are countries that are 23 and a half hours. Yeah. There are half hours. And I don't know how in the world you figure that out. Yeah, it really depends on the time zone. There's really no set spot. It's kind of a fictitious line. So nobody ever really, like, physically said this is where. about the other night with the car after me where each county at some point observed daylight savings and some didn't. That's right, with Jim. Me Jim yeah. mentioned some Missouri and different Tennessee. It's the same kind of thing with the dateline. You know, one country may decide it's on this side, one island, and another island may say, well, we're on the other side. Well, am I glad somebody invented clocks? <laughs> <laughs> and it even has a date on it for me, so I know, and the day, I know where I am and what I'm doing and who I am. I mean, boy, I'm so glad. Well, I'll tell you a story on myself. Okay. Um, I, we don't talk about it often, uh, but I, I, to the audience, but I am totally blind, and I've been that since nine years old. And so, you know, the last nine and a half. So the last uh, 30, 30, 40, 34 years. And so, um, I don't always know when daytime and nighttime is. Right, we've talked about that. And so one time, and I have unusual sleeping hours, so I put it that way. Uh, so, in other words, if when I crash, I crash. So, one time, when I uh, crash... And looked at my watch, I thought it was 9 o'clock in the morning, and I went outside, and I realized it was 9 o'clock at night. So, you never know. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you never know. Well, Fred, I really appreciate your adding to my confusion. Well, sorry, um, but when I started thinking about my answer, I was like, wait a minute, that's way too simplistic, that can't be right. Simplistic is about the extent that I can understand, so I... <laughs> I understand. 
if you're traveling from California, the only place to go, unless you're going across the United States, right. would be west, you would gain a day. You would gain a day. Well, that makes sense. I have some friends in England and one in Israel, and when I communicate with them, they're enjoying sunshine, and I'm just not even into daylight yet. Right. Well, again, that would depend on time zones, too. Right. Oh, I should have figured that out. The position of the Earth. Like I said, I think Hong Kong is more than 12 time zones away, but somewhere you cross that date line and it affects <laughs> that whole thing. So it's... Ed, did you have a nice Christmas? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Did you, did you? That's good. I have a question for you. Okay. Since you are a wonderful caller and you're, you're doing your absolute best to add to my brain here, would you like another swipe at trivia? I've got lots of CDs for you to choose from. And oh, it's as easy as the other night. <laughs> Beg your pardon? Oh, it's the question is as easy as the other night. Oh, I have to find some more difficult ones. Well, I'll tell you what I really want you to go home with. I want somebody to go home with Blair of the Mounties because somebody has to help me know whether or not I am correct in my opinion that this is one of the worst shows that was ever produced. Okay. <laughs> I've got Blair of the Mounties on a CD with some Voyage of the Scarlet Queen shows, which was a superb show, absolutely superb, uh, with Elliot Lewis, and we have The Adventures of Frank Race on that one, and it's not an uncommon show by any means, but I don't hear it very often, um, probably because it's one of those serial ones that frequently they had... Um, they had shows that might have been linked to a show before. Most of them were, were pretty self-standing. So, anyway, if you would please take Blair of the Mounties for me and give me an opinion, I will give you some questions, and I'll even toss in something else. We can go through um, the rest in the pile here, and I'll give you two. Okay, well, I'll try. Okay, well, we'll start out. I think this one is fairly easy. Blair of the Mounties, I think I mentioned this the other night. It was a series about... One person in particular, Inspector or Sergeant Blair, depending on when you came in here, he was with the Royal Northwest Mounted Police. And not very many people would recognize, of course, the, um, the name Blair, but almost everyone is familiar with a later show about a sergeant with the Royal Northwest Mounted Police and his dog. What was the name of the show? Think hard. Uh, I don't think I know. Came out WXYZ out of Detroit. Sergeant with the Mounties in the Yukon. I know I've heard the show before too. I can't think of the name of it though. Well, we'll go back to that one then. Okay. Here's here's a Christmas question. This one's easy. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> and and if you were listening to Super Saturday, you might know the answer already. Well, I listened to that song. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. In the Christmas Carol, deck the halls. What are the halls being decked with? Holly. There you go, I knew it. Just knew it. A really hard one? I have a really hard one for you. Okay. It's seriously hard. This is a very hard question, and I've almost felt guilty putting it in here, but the Scarlet Queen, that was a ship. It was a sailing ship. And it went to exotic ports. It was really a fabulous show. And they had exotic scripts with exotic people in in various lands, and it was all in the South Pacific. 
going to call in and say, no, 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 you got it wrong. I believe a catch has only two sails, uh, uh, two masts, and maybe some of the earlier ones had three. But it, it um, depends on how the ship is constructed, and it indeed is a 78-foot catch. Okay. You done good. You done good. Take it. Like, um... <laughs> Do you like, um, let's see, do you like mysteries? Do you like detectives? I've got Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade. Um, we've got Space Patrol. We've got all sorts. Yeah, we did this the other night, and you were going to send me, I haven't sent you my address yet. You were going to send me some westerns. Um, how about, do you have any, uh, you bet your wife? I do not, but I never looked for them. If I can find them, is that what you would like? I would love some of those, yeah. You would love some of those. Okay. Now, see, I really need some help here, Fred. I need somebody to help me with the CDs that I've got in my lap. So, <laughs> this, is, this is really funny. Okay, you want, you bet your life. Um, and I think I can probably do that. And now you need to pick one out of what's sitting on my desk here. Okay. All right. I went through a couple. We've got Red Rider, but that one's also got Blair, so you don't want that. Mr. Keene, Philip Marlowe, Space Patrol. Um, I'll take some Space Patrol. You like Space Patrol? Yeah, why not? Space Patrol! Okay, yeah. you've, got, you've got Space Patrol, and you've got You Bet Your Life, as long as I can um, find them. Can find them, and um, I can't imagine why I wouldn't be able to, because I'm really good at sniffing things out. Okay. And, um, cool. Do you like comedies? Oh, yeah. Eh, yeah. How about Red Skelton? I've got two Red Skeltons. Uh, and I've got an Aldrich family. Uh, yeah, Aldrich family. That'd be good. Aldrich family. We've got, that one's really a nifty one, because you've got some Bickersons on there as well, and that is a fabulous show. Um, with Francis Langford and Donna Michi primarily. And, uh, oh gosh, they were good. The Bickersons is called the Bickersons because, obviously, they bicker. Oh, good. And it's a good show. Okay, you've got them, and you bet your life if I can find it. And if I can't, I get fired. Okay. <laughs> well, have a good night, people. Have a listening. And thanks for calling in again. Have a great evening. I shall. Thanks, Fred. Good night. Good night. Bye. And you can be like Fred and give us a call at 714-545-2071. 714-545-2071. And the phone number is on the website. But hey, we got another caller. Hello, caller. I will tell you that Hawaii is right now five hours behind of um, Florida. Is it? I hope so. So you're in Hawaii, right? I'm in Hawaii. You are! Bless your heart! And you're straightening the world on this! Thank you! Oh, no, I guess I, I get confused with those time zones, too, but... No, well, right now we're five hours behind of you. Which island are you on? Oahu. Oahu, okay. You're allowed to be there. I have a cousin in, um, in Hawaii proper, the, the city. And uh, I haven't talked with him forever, but he has been there forever as well, and he just would never consider leaving. How long have you been there? Did you grow up there? All my life. Uh, I, I was born on a big island of Hawaii, and then I moved to Honolulu when I was about two. 
thinking that a native Hawaiian is probably as rare as a native Floridian at this point, and maybe. Uh, probably. Yes, yes. So, uh, is this your first time? You've never called the station before, have you? I, I've um, talked to the creator of Yesterday USA. Um, not his name, oh, I'm sorry. Bill Black? There you go. I need my mind. Join the club, you know. I was fascinated. <laughs> I was truly fascinated by the interview. Well, Ken is a great guy, and uh, he 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 been about twenty years in radio, and so we it was just fun talking about the radio business with Ken. And I've been uh, I really have been fascinated with your Ray Breen um, interviews um, on Sundays. I guess it was. Yep, yep. We will start those again in January, and we got a lot more of those. I, I you did. Uh, and I used to listen to Ruby on KBC. Yep. And he was always somebody I was, you know, fascinated by because of his training and being a pilot, 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 and yep. all this stuff. Yep. And yeah, well, Ray, Ray was a, still is a very, a very nice guy. He's probably should still, I, send me an email, try to get him back, uh, maybe give, give me a phone call sometime, and maybe we can have him get, give us an update. He, but he's pretty much retired. Uh, but I, I, I waiting for him and I for still to, um, come to a meeting in the spring and to talk about the radio days, and, uh, uh, both great, great gentlemen. The recent number that you, you, um, is your private number? Uh, it's my studio number, so in other words, you can call any time, maybe leave me a message. I'll leave you a message. Leave me a message on your phone number, or if you got email, yeah. you can just send me an email, too. I got to talk about that too, because I, I, I got this in USA on a, on a Wi-Fi internet radio. Ah. Secret. But I, I am going to learn to run a computer. I'm debating whether my friend can run an Apple, mm-hmm. and my other friend with Jaws runs a PC, and I figure out from which is the easiest to learn from. <laughs> well, I think Patricia, our friend for, would say, uh, a Mac would be the easiest one to learn. The Apple Mac, yes, it, it is the easiest system to work with. Everything is, from all intents and purposes, it's click and it does what you want it to do. You don't have to go through a series of steps. Went, I went to luncheon today and this one guy, of course, he was some, he could see, but he told me that uh, the reason why he got Mac was because it's user-friendly. Yes, it is. It, uh, I'm quite serious. You click and, and whatever you want done is done. Um, whereas with a PC, it's a little bit more complicated. You have to go through more steps. But most people grew up on PCs, so it's hard for them to imagine that uh, another computer could be this easy. I did not ask your name. Who are we talking with? My name is Ron. I'm a Ron 
up with the PC, Ron, and uh, yeah, for sure. I started back in 1985. But you have Jaws as your... Um, uh, I have Jaws as my screen reader. Yeah. Part of the reason why I chose Jaws, I do have a hearing loss. And back in the early days, in the early 80s, most of the speech synthesizers for computers were very, very hard for me to understand except for Jaws. And, but Jaws was so much expensive, so I went ahead and went for the Cadillac. Uh, but if people, nowadays, speech has gotten so good, uh, I, it, may, it might not make any difference. I, I would really suggest, Ron, if you can, try listen to both computers with both your friends, maybe the PC and the uh, Mac before you buy one or the other. Uh, but I, I think Patricia is right. The Mac would be a lot easier to, you know, probably learn really quickly. Patricia, you're not visually impaired though, right? I'm not. No. But she has she she has good understanding what's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well I, I I think the two of you do a good job tonight bringing a holiday spirit. Then also the from Northwest Mariners has some Preston, right? You got it. Are you going to play trivia with us? Well, you got you got one question, right? I got Patricia got a couple more old time radio trivia for you. I'll play a game, then I'll play a game because right now I don't know how you, Patricia. I give you credit. It's only in in where you are, your father was ahead, and it's and only it's seven fifty five. We're we're still you know early, not quite late evening yet, and you're almost like one o'clock, right? That's correct. And you sound more awake right than I. I mean me. Yep, I should. 
sure am. Are you able to, um, have you learned, I mean, are you able to burn on, on your end some MP3 CDs or you haven't done it yet? I, I haven't given it a try, uh, per se. Uh, uh, but they, they, yeah, are they saying that there is a way that we can do it, though? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There, there are definitely ways for uh, uh, the Gasmans, our friend John and Larry Gasmans, uh, they they work with computers every day at their party and they've been able to figure it out, so we can always talk to them about it. Uh, very good. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Patricia. What did I ask you? I'm fascinated by Walden, too. The two of you are just fascinating me, so that's why I'm jumping here and there, because I always want to know how to get hold of Walden, because I, I listen to him and I, I just marvel that he's much younger than I am, and yet he knows, I mean, he talks to all these great people that I've never met, but I hear of, you know, and so I admire him because he, he does a fabulous job. Okay, I've got... Ray Bree and all that You're very kind. Thank you, Ron. He's one of my favorite people. Oh, Walden? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, good. Can you tell him? and I can make sure um, yeah. I, I give it to Patricia. Yeah, put me in touch with uh, 
me in touch with the guy that you interviewed yesterday. What, Ken? Sure. Because uh, well, I was, when he told me, when I was into him, he ran the board and all kinds of stuff. I was fascinated by his ability, you know, and stuff. Sure. Then he talked about all the people I interviewed, then I got jealous, you know. <laughs> to play that on the air for you. show Stuart Keenan. Oh really? Stuart Keenan seventy four years ago next week was when he was ten years old on the Fed Allen show started the Benny Allen feud. Dude, ah. So he is still a master costume violinist today for the LA Opera. Really? He still performs at age eighty three or so, but he has great stories about Jack Benny and Fred Allen and in a couple of weeks I'm gonna have him at the put him on Bill Bragg's show that people can talk to Stuart uh, about Jack Benny, about Fred Allen, uh, about the time he played for Truman and Churchill, uh, all those great stories. So if you're a Jack Benny fan and you really want to talk to somebody who was a big important part of the Jack Benny history, uh, I should have Stuart Canning booked here in the next couple of weeks or so. Email address 
Uh-huh. Um, if you, uh, if you got email, we can give you Patricia's email right now. Okay, let me give you my email address, okay? I don't mind giving it on the air, okay? You want to write this down, Patricia? I'm here, yes. Okay. Yeah, Patricia, write this down, okay? Okay, it's M like in Mary, I like in India, Y is in yellow, A is in apple, S is in sugar, H is in Henry, India, Roger, Roger, zero. your address. I will. I will. I'll email you my address. I have a, my wife will do it for me and I'll, I'll get off, I'll get my address to you and stuff. And we will correspond that way for a while. Um, but I'm going to do this and I'm going to be doing it myself because my goal for 19, 19, for 2011 is I'm going to get me a desktop and all that kind of good stuff. Great. I want to confirm that I'm doing the right thing here. I've got Burns and Allen CDs for you. Did you yeah. also say Sam Spade? I did. All right. You're a good person. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, yeah, Warren, it's, it's nice to meet you on the phone. Thank you, Ron. I've always admired your program since I've had my internet radio. How long have you been listening to Yesterday USA? in tonight. I love this. 714-545-2071. We heard from Vermont, and then we just moved over 6,000 miles to Hawaii. We're welcome to take a call in anywhere in the United States or Canada. Yes, I remember the time we had Joe Stafford, and we got a call right after her from Brazil. So we are open. I know traditionally about 30 countries listen to us, so let's see... Where did the call come from? Hello, caller. Oh, this is a caller. Hello, caller. <laughs> uh, this is Leonard Ellenberg. Hello, Leonard. How are you? Pretty good. I thought you were calling. Here I am. <laughs> oh, Leonard. Not 
she said, hello. I, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Kind of sleepy at this time. <laughs> it's day for you, morning for you, night for me. Uh, did you realize that the last caller was uh, the gentleman that sent Bill Bragg the Hawaiian music CD? No, I did not know that. The piano player, Ron. Wow. So Bill's been playing some of his music on uh, Yesterday USA. Well, I'm gonna be. I'll be fun to play it here too. Yeah. Yeah, he sent Bill a CD wow. a while back. I know that. Shame on me. <laughs> well, since you only have one line, I couldn't call <laughs> Well, hey, Leonard, how are you doing? Has there been much snow? I heard you guys had a lot of snow. We only got about, a, about an inch, and it's mostly gone now. It was cold, still cold today, though, but it was into the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> well, this morning, it was about 25. Oh, I'm, I'm sitting here whining because it's down to 54, and I, I'm thinking, is there something here? <laughs> what is the temperature now? Did you? Uh, I think it's probably on in the upper 30s, probably. Right. Oh, 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 that makes me shiver. But, but by morning, it'll be below freezing. Oh, you, now I, I keep saying this kind of weather is illegal. I don't know who to file a complaint with. Underscore Bill saying he had some kind of an idea for you in Walden. Uh-oh. But he said it'd be a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're open to talking, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, Patricia and I will, will help, we'll will head out for the best paycheck possible, but. <laughs> I'm going to demand a raise. <laughs> Get a lot of money for your work, huh? <laughs> well, I guess at zero, zero, it all came out to be the same. You know that. Yeah, zero, 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 zero. <laughs> yeah. I feel privileged when I get extra zeros on my page. As long as there's something in front of them, it'd be nice. How close are you to Bill's studio and Bill's house? Uh, it's probably about maybe 10 miles, maybe not that far, I don't know. Oh, so it, it, you're not like the other side of a county or... Oh, no, it, it's, uh, if you go, I go uh, a little bit north and a little bit east, uh, and, and it's it's not that far. It takes, it takes about uh, 20 minutes or so to get over there. Mm. Leonard sent me Music Box Music the other day, about a week ago. It is just so much fun to listen to it, not only because I like Music Boxes, but because sound here is, it, it really is authentic, old music box, these great big pieces of furniture that, I don't know, how much do the discs weigh that you put in a machine like that? Do you have any idea? How much does what? How much they weigh? The discs that play the music, the brass discs. Oh, you mean that, that this, my, I have a CD with that music on it. That, that was played by the uh, that old uh, Porter twin disc player. Right, and you sent one of those CDs to me. And, you know, you emailed music to me. And but but that, that was a big... Look, the picture on the cover looks like it's... Uh, of course, you can't tell real good from that, but it's built up kind of like an upright piano, but it's got, these, it's got two... It comes up at the bottom, and it's got two... Uh, and I don't, I don't know whether probably about, I don't know how big the discs are, but two brass discs, you know, they're put, they've got uh, holes punched, except they go, when they punch them, they're rectangular, and they put, they hang down, and as they turn, they go, they 
uh, play these. Uh, oh, you know how the music box works? It plays the little. Sure. Start to chime, so I've read that, that they're little um, uh, <coughs> strips of. of um, yeah, and they, and they they go across the thing with little reeds on them. That's what I was trying to. Yeah. Little reeds, and it hits it, the little reeds. Well, it's not like reeds that you blow, but little, you know, it, it's like you were had a brass thing sticking down and you pluck it and it makes the sound and then it's got the big soundboard on it. We have a store in our area that has, it has a lot of novelty items in it, but they've got some very pricey things in there as well. And one of the things that I used to love to do was spend, uh, not an afternoon, but make sure that sometime during the Christmas season, I visited this store because they had a large old music box that had brass discs that you dropped in like a 78 record. Right. That, and so that's what they had at North Texas State College when I was going there in the 50s. And uh, it was it, it, I think it was a museum. It, we it was to it was a kind of a, a historical museum. And it, it was a pretty good sized box. It was uh, on a table. It was a table type. It wasn't a, an upright. But the, it was, I think it had about a 36 inch disc. At least, and you're right, they are just huge. I had to go, they wouldn't let you play it yourself. I had to go get the, whoever was over the, usually a girl there was would play for you. You know, you'd ask her to, to tell her that you'd want to play, and they had a bunch of those discs. Oh, they're, they're just marvelous, and I played this thing all day. I don't but, know. But I'm sure I uh, annoyed these people something terrible. <laughs> Because I was there as often as I could go and listen to it. They had turkey in the straw and a whole bunch of other stuff. Somebody bought the thing, so I can't hear it. <laughs> this one is at a museum, so I guess they may still have it. I don't know. That's a long time ago. Those are inviolable. If they're in a museum, nobody's going to walk in and say, okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, I it. when I went into the store a couple of years ago and said, what happened to it? And she said, and then brought it. What? It's my music box. Well, that's my, that was mine. <laughs> I never had enough pennies. I don't know how many thousands of dollars they sold it for, but um, it, it was just such a joyful thing to listen to, and it was a destination for me, so I don't have that destination anymore. After that, I uh, looked at some that were just, looked like, you know, toy size, but they were real antiques. And yeah, those were about two or three thousand dollars. <laughs> so naturally, I passed those up too. Is a music box something that you can listen to and appreciate, or is it an irritating sound for you? No, I really like it. That's why I went over there all the time to get them to play that. And it's fascinating to watch it. And uh, watching it is, is, as you say, it's just fascinating that so much rich music can come out of a disc that's got holes punched in it. And I, well, yeah, and I, like, I even like some of the um, little toy ones, you know, that play the teens. Yes, all right. I've got a collection of small ones, small music boxes, you know, ones that you just find up and listen to. And I just love them. Just love them. Is Robin still there? I sure am. I was, uh, I, that was one thing I used to give my mom for many years. It's a music box. It's a Christmas gift. Uh-huh. And... I used to go to the department store and shopping mall to buy them, and a couple of years, I can't find them anymore. 
very hard to find. They don't make them as much as they did. I know. I, I was looking at an antique book. Any mu music box from the 1930s or older is worth a minimum of 300 bucks or more. I, I know. That's very, very expensive. But um, even, even the new ones that are being manufactured today are not inexpensive little items. Yeah. They're pretty pricey. But anyhow, I bought that uh, CD at the clock shop here, uh, over, I think in University Park. Um, the one I was looking for that I can't find, uh, when I was living in a duplex um, uh, in 73, I moved to this house. But before that, I lived in the duplex, and the, and the man and woman that owned the duplex lived in the other side. Mm -hmm. And we decorated and everything. And uh, she gave me that, gave me a, she knew that I liked those, and she gave me an album called The Charm of the Old Music Box. Ooh. And it looked like, and it's, it's from the hacker. Uh, it's it's a, just a couple that, that have a bunch of, music boxes. I don't know tell you how much money they have in them, but it was a, it was an LP on it, and I made it into a CD, but now I can't find it. Or it might have been a cassette tape that I made it into. I don't know. I don't know if I ever made a CD on it or not. But I did see it on the internet, but uh, one of them said it didn't have a cover, and I don't know whether they'd be very, whether they still play very good or not. And I gave Bill Bragg mine. <laughs> funny. Are you willing to play trivia with us tonight? Oh, well, I, I don't, there's not much of, of anything that I would have time usually to watch, but I'll go ahead and play since, since that's the name of the game tonight. I want a home for Blair of the Mountains. <laughs> now, uh, I don't know much about Blair and what was the other one that was on with it? Oh, gosh, let's see what we've got here. Blair of... The Mounties, and we've got. Uh, I think it was Voice of the Scarlet Queen was on there. Yeah, I don't know the Scarlet Queen either. Was Blair was Blair of the Mounties? Was that sort of like uh, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon? Sort of. It's a show one I'd never heard before. So I Patricia, I never have heard of Blair. I know Patricia, the expert in the series, because I'd never heard of it before. I know that in uh, Bill and underscore Bill in the chat room was saying that you do a lot of uh, research on these, and it makes it interesting. Do my best because everything is new. Right? <laughs> no matter what I find, it's great. <laughs> the ones I know uh, actually listen to the programs when they were on, <laughs> like Lemon Abner and Amos and Andy and huh? and uh, Gangbusters and a bunch of stuff like that. Okay, well, one way or another, Leonard, I'm going to send you Blair of the Mounties. Somebody has to listen to this thing and say, "Oh, Patricia, you're right. This is terrible." Christmas, you know, on the first day of Christmas, my true love, Beth 
country western? I'd have to sing the whole song. Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Run. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two calling birds and a partridge in a pear tree. Two turtle doves. Two turtle doves, okay. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three calling birds, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four French hens. Very good. All right. So French hens is four. Right, that's four. Three calling bird, two turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me... Easter callings? Five golden rings. You five golden rings. Very good. You're a that one. <laughs> Okay. You didn't give me time to Google. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can Google for this one. I'm gonna get. It's really gonna be an easy one this time. Three chipmunks. You knew I had to get get to a chipmunk song. I know, and I'm not a chipmunk fan. <laughs> oh, I know it's Alvin. Well, <laughs> see, now they answered the question. Name one chipmunk. Okay. <laughs> you did fine. Okay. Oh, I was gonna ask you too. Do you know that there's a new show? Robert Downey Jr., he's a terrific actor, so probably anything he would touch would be a pretty good, a pretty good movie. Okay, I feel better now. I mean, you know, I'm really, I love Sherlock Holmes. He's one of my favorite dudes. Yeah. So anybody who messes up or messes around with Sherlock Holmes is not on my good list. <laughs> I just watched the old black and white one on TV today. Columbia Pictures. Wassling, that one. All right, now there's a line in there that says, 
to you, and to you, your waffle, too. Questions. You, you can pick any one of these. What is wassail? What is wassailing? And what does the line, and to your wassail, too, mean? Uh, oh, wassail. Let's see. Am I thinking the right thing? Is that some kind of a drink? It is. That one that was a big hit in the early eighties, yeah. the music box dancer. Were, were you listening? No, I know. I think Bill uh, underscore Bill and me both requested music box dancer, and then Bill Bragg played it. Good. Remember he played it. I 
did not realize that that was uh, Ron. I did not know. He, um, I apparently haven't been listening long enough. And well, it's a very good CD. I tell you what, I'm going <clears throat> to let y'all go, and somebody else may be just waiting to to call in. I hope. Well, Merry Christmas, Winner. Thanks for giving us a holler again. Okay, well, Happy New Year to y'all, too. Happy New Year to you, Winner. Thanks so much for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. And there's our good friend, Lennon Ellenberg, from Texas. So we've heard from Vermont to Hawaii to Texas. There's another person I'd like to give us a call at 714-545-2071. She forget the numbers on the website. She said Patricia Wong would love to give you, have you guys give us a call at 714-545-2071. We're kind people. We're friendly. We give things away. We love to talk to people at 714-545-2071. So what are you doing for this week before you get to the new year, Walden? What am I going to do this week? Well, ah. hopefully, if everything works right, we'll go see the big Cornhuskers play University of Arizona down in San Diego on Wednesday. So that might happen. Um, you know, Frank Brzee, everybody keeps me busy, so I'll probably have to work on something for Frank. Um, we'll put together the New Year's Eve show uh, for 2010, Friday fall. So have some ideas already sketched out, so we'll start putting together that. And, you know, I'm, as everybody knows who listen to the station, uh, for the last seven years since this day, since my, the Coast Mesa studio been built since May of, uh, 2002. I'm probably sneaking Christmas earlier than anybody else, and I keep it longer than anybody else. So you'll hear some Christmas shows and things on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, uh-huh. so that's sort of going to be the routine. Um, also working on compiling celebrity phone numbers and addresses of people who I haven't gotten on. That way I sort of get a head start on booking some of them starting in January either for Frank or for Bill or for my show. So that's, that's sort of the, uh, that's going to be the order, the order of operation around here. Phew! Gosh, what about you, Patricia? Are you going to stay warm and comfortable in Florida? Well, I hope so. We're not off to a very good start right now because, as I said, we're down in the mid-50s. That's not fun. That's well, you know, I mean, it's nighttime, and I have to take care of my little tomato plants. Good. Watch over them. No, it's a work week for me, so I, I will be... Back to the grindstone. Mm-hmm. Sure will. Bright and early Monday morning. Well, Monday anyway. Seven <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'd love to give you a talk. We can talk about old-time radio, Christmas, trivia, uh, if whatever just strikes your fancy. We're open to open and and if you answer one of trivia uh, Patricia's trivia questions, you'll get a prize. So you can't beat that. Even if you don't answer one, you're going to get a prize <laughs> for calling in. I mean, seriously, this is um, this is Christmas time. Everybody should get a gift. Everybody should get a gift. Well, Patricia, I thought, you know, you and I earlier were talking about your favorite show. And we were going to, we decided to cut ourselves short from an interesting topic. Just because we probably were going to have some theories on it that we thought, well, why don't we keep some of it for the audience? 
So well, while we're waiting for a phone call at 714-545-2071, maybe we should explore that topic. We were talking about Fibber McGee and Molly. Uh-huh. And you are to the point that you're starting to review some of the uh, episodes a couple of times. And you're starting to notice a little trend that you notice that Jim Jordan, who played for McGee and Molly, might have been a little more at ease or relaxed than his wife, Miriam Jordan. Exactly. And I, I am convinced about that. Uh, but you can change my mind because I respect your opinion a whole lot more than I I think I, I think I, I, I think I agree, but maybe we have a different idea how that might, that why that might be. Yes, I'm, as I, I don't, I'm not at all sure, and I wouldn't even venture a guess about why it is so. But as I'm listening to the shows, I'm being more and more in tune with what I would call fibber flubs, where he would trip over a word or misread a word and come out with some really outrageous messages that had all of the right syllables, but he put them together wrong. And there's one with printer's ink uh, I'll I'll pull out of my files when we come back later. But when he pulls a flub, he picks it up and just runs with it and makes good humor out of it, creates jokes around it. It's it's not even a self-effacing thing. He's not even making fun of himself. He's just making fun. Whereas Marion, on the rare occasions, she tripped over a word, would just pick up and keep on going. And and nobody laughed, nobody got a joke out of it, and there were always minor flubs. And his his dialogue was always more intricate than hers. He would go through his alliteration with, uh, you know, every word begins with a P or every word begins with a B. And here we get to the end of those things, and I'm just marveling. Marion never had those kinds of lines, so she didn't have as many opportunities to come apart at the seams in a, in a line that just invited being tripped up. But he was always easygoing with those kinds of things, didn't get upset with himself, didn't, um, didn't berate himself in any way. He just picked it up and made good fun of it. I didn't think of it that angle. The, the angle I thought the reason why he was more comfortable because he was sort of the hub. Uh-huh. Everything came to Fibber throughout the whole show. And when you're in somewhat the hub or in control, almost up there all the time, um, you have a feel where things are going to go. You, you have your hand on everything and 
sometimes when you throw like the quarterbacks, I think you feel a little more more relaxed sometimes. Huh? There's no real surprises or anything. Yeah, and it, it was that he is relaxed or more relaxed in the shows that struck me, and I hadn't picked that up before. Um, it, it's just there, there are increasingly, there are facets of the show or parts of the show or even individual shows with little pieces in them that are emphasizing what I thought was happening there, that he really was in, in a, a much more comfortable role, or the role was more comfortable for him. He was more at ease being a performer than Marion was. I know how much it was so fun to hear a million laughter when, when Jim would get himself bogged up. And he would get, when he would get himself into a mess. And, and it, part of the, or probably all of the fun for the audience and now today for the listeners is that he had fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if most audience may or may not know, when uh, Jim Million started radio back in 1925, uh, they didn't get paid. Back in the uh, mid-20s, a lot of radio stations were just uh, sort of an open-door policy. They were um, looking for talent. A lot of times, talent just walked in and performed somewhat off the street with these small radio stations. Uh, eventually, by the late 20s, some got some of the performers got paid. And uh, a lot of times, for Jimmy Million, they made their living off presentations. In the early days, uh, they used to go to schools and perform. Uh, she was a trained pianist, and he would, uh, they would discuss about musical instruments, and uh, he would sing. And so it was sort of a, a how-to for students to get a little music culture. Um, so they would go to that, into uh, uh, the lady clubs at the time, and the, uh, probably the Qantas of the local time. Marion was the one who was the pianist? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just needed to. Go ahead. Sure. Um, let me, and that's a good story. I'll get more on Mike. And uh, so she was, she was the one playing the piano. And so uh, so that was the bread and butter. And then eventually built into small vaudeville. And radio was important for them because they could go on the radio and say, hey, come and see us and promote the theater date, and that's where they made their money. What's on the live performances of the theater. So radio in the 20s form was, uh, was promotion. But, um, so they would do this on local independent stations, and then uh, NBC started to buy some of them, and they wouldn't allow that. So they would move to another local independent station to still promote themselves. But eventually, uh, the Great Depression hit by 1929. And so they went ahead and worked for one radio station. And I don't know, more people know that because uh, Marion was, was a union pianist, she got paid a lot more than Jim did when I started a radio career. Uh -huh. So, it's just an interesting anecdote that uh, most of the money earned in the, early, in the early 30s and things was from Marion's salary, e even though uh, they would pay for the team, but the bulk of it went to Marion because she was the uh, 
uh, the you know the union the union musician of of the two. That's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about it in those terms. That there were two performers, and that's how they were treated in a contract, as opposed to an act that gave a check. Right. Right. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Seven one four five four five. 2071 to our number. It's, it's going to be a big year this year. Um, uh, 70, Fred McGee Mall will be celebrating 75 years. And so I'll definitely want to do build something around uh, April the 16th uh, when that happened. Mm-hmm. And so we'll put, I'll put my head together and think of... Uh, we still have s- several surviving cast members of the show. Um, from Shirley Mitchell, who was Alice Darling. Um... Gloria McMillan, who in the 52 season uh, wound up being a sort of a young neighbor of the of the McGee's. Uh, later, sort of later in the 15 minute version, uh, sort of like a, a, a distant relative, a cousin. Uh, Robert Easton in the late in the 15 minute version with a neighbor. Um, Dick Beals with the new paper boy. So there's still several people who did work the show. Uh, still with us, so maybe we'll get some thoughts about it, and we'll build something around that time to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Philly McGee Molly. just one of my hopeful. Brian always accused me, I think, of everything in terms of dates and anniversaries in terms of old-time radio. So, well, maybe I do. It's a good thing to do, though, because you never forget, yeah. and it gives so many shows an opportunity for center stage. Absolutely. 714-545-2071 is our number. The uh, first show we'll play, when we're getting ready to play, will be a favorite McGee and Molly, and I will play Patricia's favorite show. All right. All right. So, interesting, the uh, Radio Association of Colorado played the Christmas Christmas Day of 1945, and we'll play the one that I heard the week before, um, which will be Christmas uh, December the 18th, 1945. So, when we get to a show, um, that's what we'll play. Uh, but we also have other shows after that. But we, we really like to take your call at 714-545-2071. You got a question about old-time radio? You want to just talk about the weather? You want to talk about Christmas time? Uh, you, if you just want to just say hi, we're welcome to that. Uh, normally we get we uh, love to take talk to people at the time of the evening and uh, and we'd love to talk to you now and if you call Christmas Eve we are opening the door to you too you can call back and uh, and uh, talk to us maybe win another prize you know so it makes it easy for us if you give us a call 714-545-2071 from the central time zone and from the mountain time zone, please. <laughs> there you go. So if you are in the Midwest, I know you guys are snowed in looking at the weather report. So if you are in Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Colorado, uh, Utah, Idaho, give us a call. If you are in Oklahoma, Louisiana, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, give us a call. We'll even take a call from Arizona. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. 
New Mexico, you know, state of Washington, I know the people up there, you know, so give us a call. Interesting, we've been looking at some of the recent tracking numbers, and our biggest listening base now at night is New York. So there might be a lot of night owls that like to get up and stay up and about around the time of the evening. Um, and so we love we love our New York people too. So if you are you calling if you want to give us a call at seven one four five four five two zero seven one, you can use your cell phone or if you're gonna pay long distance, and hey you know cost me a couple cents a second. Hey you'll get something back. So it's worth your call seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia, you want to go over some of the CDs you got laying on the desk? Maybe that will inspire a call. Oh, I've got a ton of them on my desk. Let's see what we've got here. Oh, we've got Red Rider with the Cisco Kid. Mr. Keen. I've not ever given away a Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, and I've got a full CD of Mr. Keen. That was an interesting show. Maybe we could talk about that one in a couple of minutes. Sure. We've got Philip Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, I think, is a dynamite CD, and I even made two because I thought maybe it's so much good in it that more than one person will call. It's what I call the unusual or the unheard, and indeed, they are unusual. It's, um, it's got some Paul Freeze shows in there that are extraordinary. They're just four, and I learned a little bit about Paul Freeze that he was probably the giant of the industry and always will be the giant of the industry in voice work. Not only voiceovers, but actual voice work. And the four shows that I located are called The Player. They were from the Player series, and he did every voice in every show, which was extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary, because if you went into this show cold, you would not have had an inkling that the same person was delivering lines for different characters. It was just amazing. And then, so, on, oh, well, I have to give you the rest of that. We've got Planet Man. How many people have ever heard of Planet Man? This is all in one CD. Huh. And we've got The Smiths of Hollywood. That one's not particularly rare, but right. we don't hear it very often. And some Blue Beetle episodes. Most, I say most people. Some people didn't, don't even know that we had a Blue Beetle. Um, and how close was the Blue Beetle to the Green Hornet? I don't know. Excuse me. I think the Blue Beetle came on before, started <laughs> the radio series before, uh, the Green Hornet. So, maybe, maybe they were distant cousin. The, the Blue Beetle was a police officer who went undercover in this Blue Beetle outfit at night to stamp out crime and save lives all in one fell and then we have uh, seven episodes, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Leonidas Witherell. It was um, a mystery amateur detective show that I find absolutely charming. It's got a uh, pretty neat shtick in there that um, Leonidas was, uh, uh, he looked like William Shakespeare. <laughs> Everybody remembered who he was because he looked like Shakespeare, assuming they knew what Shakespeare looked like. And we've got some Jack Webb shows that include a comedy. Jack Webb actually had a couple of comedy shows. This one is Slim Slade, S-L-I-M-S-L-A-D-E, and try to say that 12 times fast. And uh, he's really funny. He is really funny. And I've got 
at midnight and bathes in the woods to plays that are absolutely outstanding. And one episode of Tales of Fatima with Basil Rathbone. And it was um, a show that he began after he finished Sherlock Holmes. And it's one that I think he's probably very grateful it didn't last Give us a call, 714-545-2071, 714-545-2071. Call in, say hi, want a CD. Answer a trivia question, want a CD. Anyway, uh, we, let's talk about a couple of these series that Patricia got. Uh, Mr. King. Hmm. It's on for 18 years. 18 years. Amazing. One of Frank Brzee's all-time favorite shows. Yes, like really. Yes. What appeals to him? Probably because it's so campy. And in fact, the story that he loves to tell, in the mid-40s, around 46, 47, uh, his school had a record-cutting machine. So he would go use the record-cutting machine to make air checks of the Mr. King shows. Uh-huh. And so he got some of those rec- recordings that he made from the mid-40s in his files. Wow. Um, our friend Jim Cox uh, wrote a mammoth book on the series. Uh, if you go to McFarlandPub.com, you'll see it. Mr. King, what he did, uh, it was produced by Frank and Ann Hummert. They were the driving force of 130 radio shows out of New York. Prolific writers. Prolific writers, prolific producers. Um, generally, the way it broke down, uh, Anne was an actress by trade, and so she took care of writing and also supervising the soap operas uh, of, the, of the family. Frank would generally would uh, take care of the music shows, a lot of the famous music shows out of New York with Under His Wings, and the detective shows. Um, so Mr. King would have been under his domain. For 18 years, Jim figured there were more episodes of this detective series than any other of all time. Basically because it was on sometimes six times a week. It would have... I did not know that. It would have a daytime series that was five, five, like a serial, five times a week. It would have a nighttime show. Uh, so sometimes there were six episodes a week that this thing was cranking out. Huh? Um, they had two main uh, performers play Mr. King. 
I think it was Anderson was the main uh, sponsor of the series. And I think the reason why uh, people love the show because the the dialogues and things were interesting. The, how much had a had a tendency to verbalize the actions in the writings. In other words, when Mr. King says, uh, Mr. Clancy says, "Well, you're holding a gun on Mr. King, so drop the gun." They they were very uh, verbose. I guess it'd be a better term. In the writing, generally, if you think about it, a lot of radio shows, if by the mid-40s, necessarily didn't, uh, they, they had subtle ways to indicate action. They would not rig flag it in a way. Correct. And it, it, I don't even think it was, it, it was just an interesting technique. Mm-hmm. Just a technique might be a, a reasonably good word to use for it. It's not something that appears in any other show. That I know of, I mean, ones that I've listened to anyway, but it, it's it's the kind of dialogue that you can poke fun at and be on target every time. Have you met my, my partner, Mike Clancy? Oh, hello, Mr. Clancy. Yes, this is Mike Clancy. I'm, <laughs> and I would just go on and on and on. And all throughout the show, it would be, have you met my partner, Mike Clancy? Yes, I've met Mike Clancy. <laughs> all the way through the show. And it, it was really quite a remarkable technique that apparently worked if the thing was on for 18 years. People loved it, this show. started in 1937. It originally started as a daytime soap opera, sort of. Basically, to follow its title, Mr. King, Tracer of uh, Lost Persons. Uh-huh. And it actually did follow uh, people who were heiress, or people who were missing, or people who were lost. And sort of have the, it was sort of a, a soap opera format throughout the 30s. Uh, I have to ask Jim, when did it sort of change into sort of a detective mm-hmm. format? Mm-hmm. And my guess is probably in the early 40s it switched. And then I imagine by the early 40s it turned into a nighttime once a week format. And then I believe in the early fifties it went back to both a daytime, a day, a not evening, an early evening stripped five five days a week show, and then also had the half hours format too. Mhm. Don't have any fifteen minute shows. I've only got the half hour shows. I didn't realize that there were fifteen minute shows available. There's about four of them. It was on. It was the first time ever. Scott Mr. King was on a record album by Dan Golden of Radio Yesteryear. Mm-hmm. Put out a record album in the 70s, and it was like, I think, The Screaming Prisoner, I think is what it's called. And they had 40 15 minute episodes. Um, I think there's only about in the, around 40 some odd episodes, somewhere in the early, low 40s or so, that are known out there. And who knows how many are on Patricia's MP3. But if you like to see what um, a classic uh, Frank and Ann Hummer production is like, this would be a great way to study that. It is classic Hummer stuff. <laughs> they uh, and wrote and wrote. They must have written when they were cooking breakfast. Mm-hmm. She lived all the way into her 90s. 
I don't think she's been too long since she passed away, maybe within the last 10 years or so. Um, and they generally, they they ruled, they ran their uh, production company very interesting. They never met the actors and writers. Um, they were generally, they were very sure, listened to them and really didn't sit down to meet to discuss them. Uh, one of the only ones that really knew him intimately was Carl Swenson. Now, Carl Swenson was Mr. Chameleon as one of the detective series. Uh, he was also best known for those fans of Lorenzo Jones. Lorenzo Jones had his wife, Bill, which was during the comedy daytime soap opera. Lorenzo Jones was the inventor who came up with these strange ideas and was a dreamer, and his poor wife, Bell put up with him trying to chase his dreams down. And I and I get the Swin, Carl Swenson uh, wound up being a very good friends of the Hummers. About most everybody else rev- never really knew Frank and Ann Hummert. Uh-huh. Um, they uh, a lot of times uh, Ann would work ahead and outline the story she wanted, and then they would hire writers to to uh, fill it out. Uh-huh. Um, that's generally how she would work. Um, there were basically three main uh, production companies doing soap operas, Frank and Ann Hummett being number one, Erna Phillips out of Chicago, she was at about seven, Guiding Lights was her most famous show, and Irene Carrington uh, out of New York. Those were the three main production companies where the soap operas were produced and came out of. And they all had an interesting writing style, um, because soap operas did. Anyway, 714-545-2071 is our number. We'd love to give you, love to talk to you. And whatever you want to talk about, let us know. Now, the Cisco Kid. The Cisco Kid. Well, a couple of stories about the Cisco Kid I like. Um, in, it was out in New York, and uh, let's see here. Um, the gentleman, uh, Jackson Beck, played Cisco out of New York in the uh, early run. Uh, Jackson, it's hard to imagine because most people knew that voice being the announcer for Superman. And his best, his favorite series was Man Behind the Gun, which was the... Uh, reenactments of World War II battles and scenes, and well, he would be the main narrator. But he was Cisco Kid out of the uh, in the early run of the 40s. But I think more people and the more collections we have are the New York run with Jack Matters and Harry Lang. Right. Harry Lang was sort of the man of a million voices. He was marvelous in that role. Terrific as Poncho. And Poncho. In fact, um, when I had to take Spanish as a um, in California to get into the university system, we had to have foreign language, two years of foreign language, to get into the uh, UC system. And my Spanish teacher always insisted that we don't speak English, and so we're always speaking throughout, and we're supposed to choose names. Well. There's really no Spanish equivalent to Walden, so I chose Cisco. <laughs> I chose Cisco. And, um, so, 
great story about the Cisco Kid is this. Um, Harry Lang was sort of known as the man in the million voices, and he wound up having heart trouble. And a guy named Mel Blank pinch-headed for him at Poncho. And Mel did, refused to take a salary. He told the producers, take the money and give it to Harry Lang. And so that's what happened. So for many times, you'll hear Mel Blank playing Poncho and the salary went to Harry Lang. Hello, caller. Howdy, Bob. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> and who is this? This is Thomas Murray. Is that Brian Hagen? No, this is Thomas Murray. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Is that Brian Hendrickson? No, I can't This is one of our great actors from uh, Seattle. Right, Brian Hendrickson? Oh my gosh. Patricia, I want you to meet rep version of a man of a million voices. <laughs> hello. Back Brian, I don't know if you know this. Tomorrow night and Patricia take note. We will present at nine o'clock Rep's version of Wizard of Oz. And everybody, Brian plays the lion. I love it. And so tomorrow night, and the reason why we want people to listen to this, uh, Mr. Hager and I have a tendency to really go a little bit wacky sometimes. So we snuck in. Sometimes, yeah. We snuck. We snuck in baby snooks into the show, so we had our friend Patricia type up the Baby Snook script, and we inserted the Baby Snook as part of the uh, plot of The Wizard of Oz. So, if you folks out there want to hear something a little unusual, tune in tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, and you'll hear a full-hour production of Wizard of Oz, and you'll hear Baby Snooks uh, wanting to see The Wizard of Oz movie. set up the show. Uh-huh. Get over the scene where she wanted to go see the movie. So we had her set up and went to go see the movie and we transitioned it into the Lux Radio Theater. Okay. And then she came in during intermission. I like it. So so you're gonna hear a little bit of Patricia's work and then you'll get to hear Brian at the the Cowley Lion. Can, Brian give us give us another uh, give us a uh, a a little test of what the line sounded like. Oh, that's good God, his mask. <laughs> I don't have to remember. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. It's a great performance. And uh, Graham McMahon directed it. Uh, Bob Hastings played the wizard. Uh, it, it was just an amazing, amazing uh, performance. And uh, We had uh, K. 
Kate Minnight, who's 18 years old, played Dorothy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She was fantastic. And, uh, course, fantastic. Of course, we had Ron Cocking play the Scarecrow. She's Gloria. And you get Dave Selvig. Dave Selvig, who's a professional actress here. Yeah. And we had Gloria McMillan, grandson, who's 13, a professional, play a lot the Munchkins in a lot of different other parts. I bet you I bet you saw Arnold staying in that. I did, and you know, it's, uh, it, it's a shame that we, we lost him. He, he was one of the funniest people in the world. What a, what a unique voice. What a great comic. Um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was fun watching him. Yeah, every time I watched that sequence, uh, it's, I think it's the funniest part of the film. And, um... For those radio buffs, if you remember the Henry Morgan show, Arnold Stang was his psychic named Gerard. He was. He was indeed. She started off in... I have an interview in my archive. He started out on the Let's Pretend show in the 30s as a kid. And his family did not want him to go into acting. And he was living out in Massachusetts or Maine, I forget. And so on his own, he would take the bus to go to Manhattan. And he tried out on his own for the show, for Let's Pretend, and he got the job. So he did it himself, wow. all by himself, as a kid. He really wanted to get into show business. How old was he when this, this happened? Uh, well, this has probably been about 15, 16 years old. I, I, he said in the interviews he did it when he was nine. So maybe it was another show that he tried out, but he remembered doing it for Wizard... For, uh, for, um, Let's Pretend. And, according to the old bet, he was born in 1918, and, uh, the Let's Pretend show started in 1934. I don't know how in the world I keep these dates in my mind, folks, but they just run, run up there. <laughs> the rest of us have been wondering about <laughs> an answer somewhere, would you let us know? <laughs> so... So Arnold Stang um, was a New York radio actor. Uh, he also, um, when our late friend Hal Stone went into the service in the fifties, Arnold Stang took over as the role of Jughead on the Archie Andrew radio show. I did not know that. Um, was one of the most talented people. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Unlovable. Uh, so, Brian, how are you doing up there in Seattle? Oh, um, it's really, it's really cold and chilly, but we've been spared the snow, which seems to be blanketing the uh, the entire country. So we we got our we got our show last year. So looks like uh, looks like we're being spared this year. But uh, oh, it is chilly up here. How chilly is chilly? Uh, in the teens, in the uh, like twenties. Chilly. That's not chilly for Seattle. You are you are a conservative person by nature, sir. That is. <laughs> I said I was born in Southern California, so but uh, I, I never really felt cold until I went in the Air Force and uh, ended up in Germany in in, uh, in some blizzards, and uh, came to realize that wow, winter is cold. <laughs> Anything below sixty eight is cold. Truth, but my goodness, when you get down that low, oh, 
it just it just cuts right through you. But uh, you know, there's always a nice uh, place to warm up and a nice mug of uh, nice coffee or tea or hot chocolate. Uh, and it's, it's fun. It's fun because you know when I grew up in Southern California, there were no seasons. You know, it was just you know, 60, 70 degrees year round. But um, when I went to Germany, it was great. Boy, you got all four seasons, and you get that up here in Seattle. Don't really get the winter. That uh, because I love winter. There's nothing more fun to me than on Christmas Day just to see the snow coming down. I mean that's that's just that's just perfect. And uh, we got that last year here in Seattle. The first time that that's ever happened in uh, the, the 19 years that I've been living up here. Did you have enough to say we got snow for Christmas, or was it flurries, or? Well, but last year we actually had a, a blizzard where uh, we were actually snowed in here for like about 10 days, and we're in Seattle. Um, the, the entire city was caught unprepared for such a blizzard, and we only had six snowplows for the entire you know the entire city. So uh, the, the, whole, the whole city shut down for a week last year, a week plus, other than like you know the downtown area. That kind of weather doesn't happen up there. No, no. Um, you know, I, I remember when I first moved up here, we had snow for a day, and people were like, "Wow, it snowed for a day!" But uh, you know, we got we got ten days of it last year. It was it was just uh, phenomenal. And uh, you know, we, we our mayor up here he uh, isn't mayor anymore, I think, due to to the problems caused by that snowstorm. My gosh, everything cost him his job. Not having enough snow plows, and they didn't even sand, uh, uh, salt the roads to, to start with, or sand them, and they're just plowing them. And now, you know, this year they've got salt and stuff, and they're already. And of course, you know, it didn't snow. <laughs> now, how, how do you, how can you prepare for something like that? It, you, you really can't. You really can't. I, I think what got the mayor in trouble is right after you know the the, the disaster, they asked him on TV. So so. What do you think of the response? He said, well, I'll give it a B. And, uh, boy, everybody was outraged. Because, you know, in my community, we didn't even get a snowplow up here. We, we were just snowed in for 10, 11 days. Wow. And um, the only way to really get any supplies was to, you know, to trap on out in the snow and uh, get it. But the funny thing was all of the roads around the mayor's house were all, all well plowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I guess he got the... the Grove's in the central part of the state 
we go. That's me. That's you? Yeah, no, uh, my gun is eight. Oh. I'll now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like standing up in the middle of a conversation. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me not to bring my food. It, uh, I, uh, I value so much. Patricia, the job you've been doing the last couple of months. I think it's so unique what kind of job you've been doing and it tells you how good the company is to the customers. Oh, uh, the Starbucks? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I started in September uh, helping them with their customer service because they're, they're getting, you know, not just phone calls, but now they're getting uh, uh, email sent in and they're getting, you know, people go to websites and they fill out web comments and now they're actually, you know, they're going and, and giving feedback on Facebook and through Twitter, and it's uh, it's it's really amazing that um, that uh, a, a coffee company now, really, like every other company on earth, it has to become a computer company also in order to survive, in order to thrive. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm pretty much working in a, in a department where we're we're communicating with people in in a in a digital way which is a, a, a very 21st century job in that um, it's, it's, it's all bits and bytes now. You know, whenever a, a web comment comes in, you know, we, we email them back, and there's, there's no longer, uh, you know, talking to folks on the phone anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's slowly, slowly going away. And, and, you know, whenever anyone has a problem, they'll, they'll Twitter or Facebook it or uh, go, to, go to the website and fill out a comment form. So it's, uh, this is a lot of fun. And you're the one to help make sure that the customer gets uh, treated right, and you give little gifts to the customers, aren't you? Well, yeah, Starbucks is, is you know, actually I worked for Eddie Bauer for a long time, too, and, and I think those two companies really are comparable in that they they have the best customer service uh, in the world. And uh, I've had customer service training from Microsoft, from Boeing, uh, from Tom Warner, uh, from even uh, Weight Watchers, I worked for them for uh, for a few of their projects, and uh, 
it's really exciting to work for a company. After I, I worked for uh, as a contractor for Microsoft doing Windows 95 support, and I would say 80% of the people who I had to, to help hated Microsoft, and they hated Bill Gates, and they hated Windows, and they were upset that Windows was making it so their monitor wouldn't work, or their printer wouldn't print, or their speakers wouldn't speak. And um, instead, you know, working with Eddie Bauer and working with Starbucks, to have people call up who just love the product. You know, even if they have a problem, the first thing they say is, oh, I've, I've never had a problem in 10 years, but I, I just had to let you know that something was wrong. It's, uh, it, it's refreshing and it's unique. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, you know, I, I had some fun doing the, the Microsoft Windows 95 work. I remember one time um, uh, somebody called up and said that the, uh, the beverage uh, holder on their computer had broken. And I, I, it took me a couple of minutes to try and figure out, well, you the beverage holder on your computer? <laughs> yeah, and he says, yeah, yeah, you just you push this button and the thing's out there and you put your beverage in there. And I had a really big beverage and it just snapped off. And I realized, oh, he's pulling the CD tray out or the DVD player tray out and using it for beverages. And uh, it, it broke off. And at that point, I realized, wow, you know, uh, a lot of people are running computers from scratch. Um, indeed. That's about as scratchy as you can get. <laughs> And also, I also had a, a call one time, a really nice, uh, nice uh, elderly uh, woman said her monitor wasn't working. So I did all the typical things, you know, is it turned on, you know, is it plugged in, uh, did it did it work before, yeah, it worked before, it's just not working now. So I'm thinking to myself, well, it's plugged in, it's turned on, it worked before, you know, let's turn it off, let's turn it on, let's reboot it, it's fine. And, and I was really puzzled, it's like, you yeah, know, this, this thing should be working. Uh, maybe it just died, and then the, the lady says, wait, wait a second, wait a second, you hold on, you hold on there. I go, okay, and I heard her in the background arguing with her husband, they got into this heated argument, and finally she comes back and says, well, he, he, he denied it at first, but I got him to admit it. I go, what, what? She says, well, I, I was looking at the monitor, and then I looked on the side, and there's there was two holes in the monitor, in the side of the monitor. Did you shoot this monitor? And he said, No, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. There's two holes inside that monitor. How did that? How did that monitor get two holes inside of it? And he finally admitted he got upset because Windows was making him mad, and and, and he shot the monitor. He shot it. Yeah, he, he pulled the gun out and <laughs> disabled the monitor because he was upset. He was really upset, and uh, so I was able to. Uh, Resolve that case as closed. Uh, you know, officially, I identified it was wrong and, and could move on to my next call. So you were just like Sam Spade. I was. I was like Sam Spade. I was like Boston Blackie, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Hercule Poirot, and uh, Miss Marple all rolled up into one. How grateful that woman should be that he wasn't as upset with her. <laughs> You know, you heard the old story about the, the guy and his wife going down the old road with the mule, right? Give me the punchline. <laughs> you know, I've heard it. They were husband and wife. They're going down a country road, and the mule is taking his time, and you know, and, and the mule just stops, you know? Stops to, to eat eat some, some porridge. And the farmer, you know, looks at the mule and says, Mule, that's one. And he kind of 
little bit closer to town, and they find a mule, sees a, like a female mule a couple miles away, just stops to look at her, and, and the farmer goes, mule, that's three, and he pulls out a gun, and he shoots that mule dead right there, and his wife goes, what in the world did you do that for, you idiot? You just killed a mule. And the farmer looks at his wife and says, what? That's one. I want you to find a female mule for me. <laughs> no, no, are female mules called uh, mules or? Well, mules are, 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 are this, uh, isn't it a mix between a horse and a uh-huh. donkey or something? Or? Uh-huh. How, how do you get a mule? You cross a horse with a donkey. But I don't know which has to be the, um, the child bearer. I think it's probably the donkey, I would think. Yes. I would think. That would be right. As the human race moves away from the rural farm life, things like that become a mystery. How did the mule get here? I grew up in New York. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Southern California. Uh, The only time we saw mules went to Knott's Berry Farm. I, um, okay. That's right. The home of knock of uh, boysenberry jelly. The boysenberry boysenberry jelly. Yeah. Boysenberry jelly. Yeah. Wow. I want to hear a little bit more about the Oz. Did you do it in the traditional format or more like the Wiz? Very traditional. Uh, Brian Haygood uh, took the what was it the Lux Radio Theater adaptation with uh, uh, Judy Garland. Uh-huh. He added he added a little bit more from the film to to kind of kind of fill it out, and then uh, the uh, Gordon McMahon came in there and, and did it was like about an hour and a half two hour rehearsal. Uh-huh. And she 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 got everybody into shape and and really crafted the show and then uh, once everybody went on it was uh it was it, it really was it was magical it was it was one of the most uh, amazing performances that I've ever been around and I was lucky enough to be ahead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the, the, the guy who did the Judy Garland part. Kate McKnight. She's 18. She always wants to be an actress. And she just right. got done uh, seeing at um, Carnegie Hall. Breathtaking. I mean, you know, Judy, Judy Garland was so amazing. Yeah. Um, she, perhaps one of the greatest performers in history. And uh, Kate McKnight, uh, boy, she she built it out uh, somewhere over the rainbow. It would just just make bring tears to your eyes. It was just fantastic. What we did is you go to the website everybody called fakeradio.com. There is a radio group in Los Angeles who does comedy old time radio shows in a live stage format once a month. And they get professional actors and people who love doing comedy, and they take old-time radio scripts. So, a year ago, Brian said, well, I want to do Wizard of Oz. And, you know, so I said, well, there's the Lux Radio Theater script. And he said, well, let me go on the net and look. And he found a company who already did, uh, they typed up the Lux Radio Theater script, and then they went to the movie and fill in the missing pieces. So, when Hager and I looked at it, I said, you know, Brian, 
Rhino Records put out a two CD set of the music. And this is the score from the film plus all the rehearsal plus uh, tracks that were never heard. Wow. I said, let's use that as our base. That way it helps us to try to... Um, so when Brian sings at the Lion, he sings with the actual film score. When Ron at the Scarecrow, he sings with the film score. Now, there's a couple parts where, like, somewhere over the rainbow with Kate, we have a blind organist named Randy McMillan who plays in, uh, for a radio convention. He would play, that we couldn't do the film score, he would play those things live. So, it's the music break, it's a combination of the film score and live music. My gosh. So, hey, good. And I believe in this project so much. And every time we talk to our really experienced uh, directors, they turn it down. Uh, because they figured, who wants to take a chance? and doing an actual phone-blown musical. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian and I, two years, in 2007, did Pinocchio, and you'll hear that a week from Sunday, everybody. Brian shipping me that one, starring uh, Eddie Kill, who was, of course, Jiminy Cricket, and a gal who put... Wait, when do you need that? I have to mark my calendar. When do you need to put that one on? That'll be a week from tomorrow. So, this is, last week we played It's a Wonderful Life on Saturday. And I know you're part of that one, Brian. So maybe we can talk about that in a minute. Tomorrow will be Wizard of Oz. And then a week from tomorrow, it'll be our version of Pinocchio. And oh, with Eddie Carroll. It was Eddie Carroll. And that's the first time we ever did music with an actual song. Well, Wizard of Oz was our big attempt to really do a full-out musical production. And... So Hager and I had faith in the project. You know, the way we work, Hager and I discussed how we want a convention, and we throw ideas, and then once we agree, then we get back to the hilt. And so um, we were having trouble finding a director for the job. So uh, I called upon my friend Gloria because uh, she is a professional acting coach for children. She and her husband run an acting school for 600 children. And I felt with Kate, I wanted Kate to be Dorothy because I thought it would look better as a presentation to have an 18-year-old girl who would tell to get got done performing in New York with a group to get up there. But I figured she loved Gloria. Everybody loved Gloria. It'd be a great security blanket for her to work with somebody. And then with Gloria's grandson, I figured it was the right director. And this was Gloria's very first directing job in front of her. And so she was a little nervous about it. But she did it for me. Um, and so the way it works, Brian, you're going to explain this probably better than most people because you were in the rehearsal. I was busy working the other time. We scheduled three hours of rehearsal. But we, because of scheduling difficult, we couldn't use the full three hours. We used probably two hours to do an hour of production. And Haygood, because he 
put together the music score and with their helping Goya cue things up. And I don't know, Brian, maybe you point. I don't know if you guys fully had a full a full rehearsal. Did you? Guys? We 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 went all the way through it once, uh-huh. out, and uh, she was very careful that uh, this any kind of like a music cue or any kind of sound effect that uh, everybody really you know. She went over it enough so everybody's really clear on what they had to do. And um, I remember Bob Hastings, he's funny. He is, he's just so, he's just so fantastic. He was, uh, you know, he had, a, he had kind of a, a lighthearted way of uh, just making us all feel like it was going to be a train wreck. So I guess everyone kind of had to figure, well, you know, if it's a train wreck, it's a train wreck. Let's just all have fun and, and really put, uh, put our, our heart and spirit into it. And Bob played, Bob played the wizard, everybody, in this one. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, then, you know, as soon as it, it came time for, for doing it for real, uh, you know, every everything that, that Gloria had, had spelled out, uh, everybody, you know, everything just fell right into place, and it was just just like butter. It was just so smooth and, and so uh, so creamy and so wonderful. It was uh, it was like a dessert. It was, uh, it, 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 if, you, uh, if you miss it tomorrow night, you're going to be missing out something special. So you really, really should listen in because it, it's just for Kate McKnight, but uh, also for Bob Hastings and Ron Cocking and Dave Selvig. And uh, I, I can't uh, think of the, the name of the, the, the very talented woman who did both Baby Snooks and The Wicked Witch. Elizabeth uh, L- Ripley, she's an operetta singer, and so she could tell like Baby Snooks, and then she could build out the, the really strong, difficult song that we really need a professional singer. Yeah. And, um, well, Brian, explain to the audience, you, you're you a big old-time radio fan, but what makes you, well, I know Hager and I feel comfortable, that you really love to study characters and roles, and sure, explain how you approach The Wizard of Oz. How, how do you sit down and work on that for yourself? That one was unique, because I, I had, like, so many other people, you know, grew up with that movie. I mean... Every year it was on TV, I watched it. Every time it came as a revival to the theater in my town, which, you know, was pretty often, uh, I did through it two or three times. Um, the the old-time radio versions, you know, I, 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 I listened to them over and over. So that film, that story, um, you know, I, and I actually, too, uh, back in the 70s, they had a, uh, a marathon. It was a 56-hour movie musical marathon it was in the late 70s and I, uh, I bought a ticket and went and Mervyn Leroy the producer of Wizard of Oz actually made an appearance there introduced the film what a sweet old guy and uh, when they introduced him they, they, they pretty much gave him all the credit for creating the film and it, and it being as good as it is which you know wow, that's well placed but he was very very humble and uh, he said you know what he says if you don't have a great story you know, you, you, you don't have a, a, a great show. And he says, all the credit should go to a guy named Frank L. Baum, who wrote that amazing story. And uh, that, that, to this day, still captures the imaginations of, uh, of uh, young and old. Amazing story, 
John is like ingrained in, in my in my very fiber, you know. He's he was my favorite character from the movie. Especially I had always looked forward to the part where the wizard would scare him, he'd run down the hallway and he'd jump head first out that window. That was uh I would always just, just look forward to that moment because it, even to this day, I still just break out in laughter. And um, the great uh, comedian, Burt Lauer, who uh, made many movies and uh, made uh, many radio appearances, and he also had that signature catchphrase where he goes, you know, uh, he, was, he, he was always one of my favorites. So for that one, you know, it, it was just uh, listening to the, the program and kind of marking the script up. And uh, trying to trying to capture the 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 Bert Lyerness of that character because if you listen to the old time radio program, Bert Lyer he did not do the line uh, on the radio program. Right. And um, the guy tried to do a good Bert Lyer, but uh, I I preferred to do a Bert Lyer rather than that guy's interpretation of him because you know Bert, to me Bert Lyer is the cowardly lion. There's there's no one in the world that can do that part like him. So I was just as an acting exercise, trying to, you know, identify, you know, his pacing and where his inflection and, and the tone and the volume and, and, uh, try and, try and, you know, perform that part the way that he did is, and it, what, what a great exercise, you know, not, not just with Bert Lauer, but, uh, all the wonderful, uh, parts that, uh, Weldon and Brian have cast me in where, you know, that can be a Senator Claghorn or a Digger O'Dell or a Titus Moody or a Okay, well, I want you to show Patricia. Patricia, we, this, this time Brian decided to Red Scout this year at Showcase. And guess who was our, the mean little kid? <laughs> you could have qualified. <laughs> All right, Brian, take over. Uh, you know, I wish I could, but I, actually my voice is a little sore from, from I, I pulled the, the four 12-hour days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Because, uh, you know, it was right, right before Christmas, and, and my <laughs> voice is a little, it's actually a little sore right now. Oh. But, uh, but I'll call in tomorrow night, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try, and if my voice is a little bit better, I'll, I'll be able to do something for you. You'll do, you'll do the mean little kid for me tomorrow night. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll do, I'll do little skits for you if you want. We'll, 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 maybe you and I can work something out. And, uh, All right. We can, we can bring Junior, bring Junior to life. We'll bring Junior to life for tomorrow night on Yesterday USA. Yeah, but the, uh, the reps uh, December meeting, uh, it was a real joy to be able to do that with Anna Denton, and also I got to do Lemon Abner with uh, with the great uh, Bob Hudson, who was on Death Valley Days, and uh, he was also on NBC uh, Drama Theater, and uh, of course, uh, uh, Little Ruff and Annie made yep. appearances on that, and uh, we're, we're really blessed to have him up here in the Pacific Northwest, where we can uh, uh, kind of... Uh, off his expertise. And you know, after I did the Junior the Meaningful Kid, I, I was sitting down with Bob, mm-hmm. and he's going, he goes, you know, Brian, I, I got to, I worked with Rainer Felton. I go, what? What? You got to work with Rainer Felton? You're so lucky. You know, because this is after the, uh, we did the Elmas Brooks. He sat down and says, yep, you know, Brian, I used to work, I got to work with Gail Gordon. And it's like, oh, oh, you're so lucky. And um, I guess he worked with Rainer in the San Francisco area before, before World War II. And then uh, I guess World War Two, Bob went off to World War Two, and when he came back, you know, uh, everybody had moved out of the Bay Area down to LA. Yeah. And uh, the, he ended up teaching for over twenty years at uh, Oakland, Oakland High School. 
for the audience, just to remind you who Verna Felt was, she was Dennis Day's mother. She was grandmother uh, of the Red Skelton for, uh, for Junior. And every, every uh, big voice seemed like was Verna Felton. She was fantastic. She was one of the greatest voices of radio. She, she really, really was. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 her, the character she created of well, the grandmother was just... I mean, sometimes she would get bigger laughs than Red. <laughs> I mean, she was she was that good. She she could she could she could you know she could be a great street woman, you know, set, set up lines for Red, but then she could also knock him out of the knock him out of the park, you know, when uh, when it came time for her punchline. So she was uh, she she truly was something special. And that's uh, Verna Felton is one of the reasons uh, the Mean with the Kids kids are, are my favorites because. The interaction of those two, oh, it's just comedy heaven. It, it, it's the greatest. Well, Brian, you want to take a shot at some of Patricia's, Patricia's trivia questions? Uh, I'll take my best shot at the at Patricia's uh, old-time radio Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> the answer in the form of a question. Thing to ask. This is correct. Okay. Um, I can't do that. I'd, I'd be I'd be an abysmal flop if I tried that. But uh, yeah, that'd be fun. I love I love trivia. I love quizzes. I love I love trying to test my knowledge and see if there's something I know, and if it is something you know, see if I can remember it. <laughs> I have to find some really hard ones for you. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! These are too easy. I'm going through them one at a time. You keep talking, okay? Okay. Uh, it's a wonderful life. I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, get a number of little tiny parts in a recreation of It's a Wonderful Life, which starred uh, Carolyn Grimes. Who was Zuzu in the movies, and we played that last Saturday, everybody. So you heard Ooh. Brian do a small roles. Oh, let me tell you some breaking news, Brian. Hmm. Gloria McMillan called me on Christmas Eve because she was so excited that she had reconnected with Leonard Smith. Oh, she did. I was talking to her about, oh, how do we find him? How do we find him? Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Leonard Smith, for the audience, was Snodgrass. Stretch Snodgrass in the Arm McBook show. Oh, so, so good. So, when I, when I t- talked with her at dinner after uh, the showcase, she was going, you know, uh, he's just, we just, we can't find him. Yep. He's just dropped off the face of the earth. So I said, oh, you need to try us that we have. It's just, uh, so we, we Leonard, Leonard called out of the blue. Wow. He, he lives in, uh, in a retirement community. And you know what he does as his hobby? You'll never, forget, you'll never get this. What? He takes old-time radio script and has a drama group. Um. <laughs> So, Gloria have sweet talk him to coming up to Seattle in June. Wow. This will be, this will be Leonard Smith's very first ever radio, old-time radio deal. He'll be coming up to Seattle. So. Wow. So that that's two original members of Armist Brooks. Yep. Wow. And then, of course, uh, we're, we're gonna probably get Robert Easton to make the trip, and he used to do parts on the Armist Brooks show too. So. Fantastic. So. Uh, that's yeah. That so, is great news. Yeah. So I, that, I mean, Gloria was so excited that she called me on Christmas Eve, and uh, and she just, you know, just tickled to death that she's reconnected with Leonard Smith. Well, she she's amazing. She she is just absolutely amazing. Yep. 
she's a she was not just as a director, but also as a performer. Yes. And uh, and you know, the Iron Miss Brooks movie has just been released by the Warner Brothers um, on their their WarnerArchive.com website, and I just purchased it. And oh my gosh, what a great film that was! I I just located her on a Phil Harris Out of Face show, so I had Frank send uh, Gloria a CD of that. For those of you artists, you can look at October 30th, 1949, you can find Gloria on the Phil Harris Out of Face show. What, what part she play in it? Uh, she's a, just a, uh, a girlfriend of, uh, uh, of, of um, Walter Tetley. Ah, gotcha. What, what a great voice yeah. that guy has. Yeah. Walter Tetley, Leroy, for all those years, you know. One of my all-time favorites. And then he did Julius Abruzio yep. on Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Yep. It was priceless. Oh, my gosh. Great comedy timing. I mean, just great comedy timing. You know, he met... Yeah, my understand he met the bakery but under contract and a lot of times those were the two shows he worked. The Great Girls Leave and Phil Harris Out of Faye. Pretty much. Occasionally you heard him do get shots and other things but I think he was pretty much um, under contract for both those shows. Uh-huh. Um, what he did in halftime he volunteered everybody to help a handicapped Boy Scout troop. And when he passed away, it was part of his will that his estate went to the Boy Scouts. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, he also ran a pet shop. A pet shop? A pet shop. How interesting. Yeah. And he wasn't even allowed to keep a cat. I know. When he was Leroy. Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> Why? Yeah, because Walter Tetley was so, had such a unique voice. Yeah, one of a kind. Yeah, yeah one of a kind, and uh, what, what a fantastic voice. Occasionally, you'll find someone who, no matter who tries, the reproduction is just can't match closely enough to pull it off. I agree. I agree. And well, Some folks are just impossible. I I actually tried to do a. a remember Paul Freeze. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's a voice. That is a voice. It was my first time. Uh, I came across four shows that Paul Freeze did the player. And from what I gathered on the information, these are the only four of that show that still exist, that have survived. And 
work and his abilities. None. Incredible. Yeah, he was he was something special, without a doubt. What do you know about him? Good. What do you know about Paul Fries? That he's got a voice I wish I had. <laughs> he's he's one of those folks that you know when I uh, when I learn something about acting, I'll just take like five minutes of what he does and just dissect it, you know, and uh, and watch watch what he does. Even like Orson Welles with the great uh, the, the the Mercury Theater shows and the Campbell shows and Freddie had a sponsors shows. Um, just what he and you know all the great actors and actresses in the Mercury Theater would do was just amazing. Um, I remember I was listening to the the Dracula performance where Orson Welles he basically he spoke a sentence and every word he went up a tone and it was like I've never heard anybody do that and it was so dramatic. And it was so powerful that when I did a recreation, I did it, and I thought to myself, oh, that, that's a brilliant actor there doing that. I mean, it's just, oh, you know, so, uh, yeah, listening to Paul Freeze, listening to Mel Blanc, um, listening to, um, who's another great example of, of a great radio actor? Um, actually, you know, a lot, a lot of times on the Lux Radio Theater, where you have, you know, folks that were movie stars, uh, that would take their turn in front of the microphone. And and some of the performances are just breathtaking. Thank you for saying me that Lake of the Undiscovered Lux Radio Theaters, Brian. Oh, yeah. Weren't those, weren't those fun? Yeah, fun. I just got them in the mail. I, I, I've been sending out to people. And uh, 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 Patricia, keep the, uh, Brian supposed to be get, coming up with a link of an undiscovered Fermi and Molly pretty soon. So once he gets that, I'll send that to you. Yeah, I just, I, uh, somebody somebody brought a, uh, an old uh, 1943 program, and I, I looked through all the, the websites and all the, uh, uh, the collectors, and, you know, it's not, it's not listed in, in anyone's collection, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to listen to it, and it's in, it's in great shape, too. Well, so, well, send me a link to that, I'll send that to Patricia and everybody else, so. Definitely will. I, you know, in fact, I listened to the, uh, one of the, 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 the uncirculated luck shows, the um, one with, Gene Arthur in uh, Pygmalion. Yes. Oh, that was so delightful. That was just such such a fun hour of, of radio. And uh, what was what was one of the other ones? Uh, Gallant Journey with Glenn Ford. Right. Which of the uh, of the early Aviator. Right. And um, there was another aviation related uh, program. I forget which one that was. It wasn't Ceiling Zero? That was a show that's already been in circulation. The one with Cagney. Yeah, and Cary Grant. Yeah, and then also um, the, the Rosalind Russell, Russell did a, uh, a great performance as a, as a female aviator yeah. who uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing that uh, shows that haven't been heard in you know fifty, sixty, seventy years uh, will just boop, pop out of the woodwork, and there they are, and, and then you know uh, they're in circulation. You know that you know everybody starts sharing them, and uh, and. Uh, we, uh, we, make it, we make it so they don't get lost ever again. You know, if we share, everybody has a copy. That way, if somebody loses it, it's, it's still out there. Well, that's hopefully, what, hopefully ending up on archive.org at some point. <laughs> that's what Patricia and I talk about. The nice thing about this hobby, we all want to share it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know I, I don't think we all do. I think, from what I understand, there are some collectors who are, are really tight with their collections. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they, um, they. I, 
be found. Somebody's telling me about a, a, a big warehouse that the military has just full of discs. Are uh, you familiar with that story? Yeah. Um, during World War II, as many people know, the Armed Forces Radio Service uh, were created, and the, and the main hub was Germany. And it wound up that a lot of the, they, what they would do, uh, Elliot Lewis and Howard Duff were responsible for taking, recording the shows off the air during World War II, cut the commercials out, and then they, they'd be making press and ship these things around to the world to different radio stations. And the bulk of that collection wound up in Germany. And so it wound up that Germany eventually had one million discs. Uh, oh my. Yeah. When, when you say Germany, that's a country. Where did they wind up within the country? Well, by your station, there would be what, what uh, in Berlin, what, where was the main hub in the military in, in Germany? Let me tell you, there, there is, there is uh, gazillions of uh, little army bases all over there. I was on Ramstein, which... Uh, was huge, and you know, the 90 kilometers away, you had Frankfurt Air Force Base, which is just huge. Yeah, I think it was Frankfurt. I think it was. It, it, more likely, that's probably it, because it's a huge base, and I can I can see them having just a, a big warehouse just full of vinyl, mm -hmm. just in their warehouse, and, uh, and nobody doing anything but just, you know, minding the store. But, um... Eventually, I think it's been transferred to the Library of Congress, and they just haven't had time to catalog one million discs. Well, yeah, and also there's there's uh, gazillions of uh, old-time radio programs that aren't in circulation yeah. that are that are sitting hopefully safe, yeah. but uh, completely inaccessible right. uh, in the Library of Congress. And I just got an email from uh, First Generation Radio Archives where they were talking about how they have donated a lot of their discs, right? They're, they're, they digitized them, and they're hoping that they um, will get permission. Yes, to release and clean up some of the programs that are locked up in the vault, so to speak, and right. so we can hear these shows. So that was that was exciting. That's exciting news that they have, first generation have transferred 30,000 shows. A lot of them they haven't released, and, but they must have digitally gave a copy of those to the Library of Congress. And I guess they must be working some barter deal that they can get access to the Library of Congress, digitalize their archives, and maybe work out some structured deal that we can release those shows. That's amazing, and I tell you, I, I have supported First Generation Radio Archives with uh, uh, a lot of my money, and they've rewarded me with some just delicious-sounding programs. Mm -hmm. They do they do a wonderful job of uh, making these recordings sound brand new. Uh, I mean, some of the recordings that they have put out just knock my socks off. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I, it, it's it's just amazing what they can do with the technology and the love that they put into uh, preserving, uh, you know, our radio heritage. It blows me away that so many shows continue to surface after all these years. It's a treat. Like, the, the, when I got to listen to that Super McGee and Molly show, it's like, ah, oh, here's a fresh one. You know, this is, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. I kind of like that. Like mining for gold in the old California rush, and suddenly you come up with a nugget and you can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's pay dirt all right. I mean, I'll tell you, if I had a choice between finding a nugget of gold and uh, and coming across an old Fibber McGee and Molly program, I'm taking the old Fibber 
to get Molly program. <laughs> well, I would take Fibber no matter what. Yeah, because to me, that it's more rare. It's more precious than any gold. Mm. Well, you can find that in any store, but uncirculated Fibber and Giamatti, oh boy, I'm in that line. I'm on your side. <laughs> and uh, didn't I also heard that um, the um, um, uh, Radio Spirits actually had come across a couple of uncirculated uh, Shadow episodes, one of them one of the early uh, Orson Welles uh, programs. Correct. They are... They have struck a deal uh, with a gentleman who has 50 uncirculated shadow shows. Wow. And they were releasing two or three at a time. Also, also struck a deal to start releasing the uncirculated Phil Harrison out of space shows. Yeah, I've heard that those are out. Right? Also, uh, there are still another four more seasons that they're sitting with that they'll start releasing. Wow, those, that's great news. Yeah, those of us who love Phil Harrison out of space. We okay. basically had the 1948-49 season for many years. The 1953-54 popped up. But 46, 47, 50 through 53 were not really out there. Uh, what they're starting to do is from the starting into the 1950s and start to release those. So that's all good sign. Oh, man. Yeah. I like it. That's amazing. I mean, it is truly just amazing that so much of this is still squirreled away in corners and people are discovering it and not throwing it out. Well, well thank goodness that, uh, that the media that was utilized is, uh, you know, was built to last. You know, vinyl, vinyl and all the other substances, other than, let's say, glass and paper uh, for, for transcriptions, have... Uh, have an amazing longevity if, if they're, you know, taken care of. Mm-hmm. So we, we are lucky. I, I, I'm also a, a big fan of uh, uh, movies. And uh, the media that early films were put upon was definitely not a long-term um, media for, uh, for, for film. And uh, I believe, what, 80 to 90 percent of the films made before 1920 are, are completely utterly gone. That's what I've heard. Um, just disintegrated. So, um, and someone was even saying that there are more Red Skelton uh, radio programs available than his TV shows. Correct. Uh, I know all the Red Skelton radio shows have been preserved. I know the archivist who did the work. Yeah. Uh, radio Spirits are just sitting on them. Really? Yeah, so everybody, because uh, I, I had Red Widow on, he, made a he had five-year contract with Radio Spirit, so I'm hoping they just probably renewed it, and we should encourage them to release more of the Red Skelton shows. Well, they do They do have a, a new, uh, in the latest catalog for the last, well, I guess last couple few months, mm -hmm. they've got a Red Skelton set out that includes some of the uh, uncirculated shows. So, which, uh, from what you're saying, that's the tip of the iceberg. So let, let's bring it on. Let's release some more radio spirits. I got, I got my checkbook ready. I'm ready to support uh, support the restoration and preservation, and uh, and also get some get some laughs out of it. Because boy, there's nothing more fun than uh, Clem Cadillo Hopper or uh, Mean Little Kid or uh, even uh, what was the, the the two birds, uh, Gertrude and Heathcliff. Oh, he was mainly TV. They were TV. But he'd, he'd stick, his, stick his hands under his arms and he'd do the, the wing flapping bit and 
shows were just fantastically uh, funny, well-written, um, great music. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, get, uh, let's get more of those episodes out of those, those folks at Radio Spirits. Let's, let's have more forthcoming. Brian, I wish that over the next couple of months you would work on that enthusiasm problem with yours and, you know, just <laughs> up a little bit of momentum on, on your emotions here. Columbia Pictures. Wow. 18 movies. And introduced, yeah. introduced a lot of movie stars got their first break. Glenn Ford got his first break on a Blondie picture. Also, Rita Hayworth. What a what a workhorse in the film series. Yeah. My goodness. You've really got to have something good going to sustain yourself for 18 movies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I had no idea it was that many. Neither did I. That, that is... That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. Okay, what money? That's a lot of money for the theater. I mean, for the studio. Yeah. You know, they're probably packing those, uh, packing the movie houses full. Next. Next question, please. All right. Quiet, please. He's next to in every show. What was the question? What was the question? What did Baby Snooks do in every show? What did she do? Well, she would, she would, uh, she would torment Daddy, that's for sure. Um, what did she do in every show? Every single show. Would this be, uh, like, like a physical act, or would this be like a comment, like a phrase, or catchphrase? I'm sorry, uh, you have to pretend I'm a teacher. You don't ask the teacher for him. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, Tony, Tony. She cried. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> what did Baby Snooks do in every show? She cried. She cried. Oh, my God. 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 CD of unusual shows. It really is a nice collection. Oh yeah, I love unusual shows. And I would be happy to send that. Is there anything else that I want to ask before that you would like, or would you like me to go through the pile again? Yeah, I, the, the, the unusual shows, that intrigues me. It makes me wonder what kind of unusual shows are in there, because I like unusual shows. I think they're unusual. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a sample. Give me a second to come up with my list here. But I just made one tonight for Walden. Um, one of the things, I, and I don't think I did it on the giveaway disc, so I will make a separate one for you. I located some Aunt Jemima shows, which I did not realize still existed. So I've got some animals. Oh, that's rare stuff. And I think it's kind of unusual, and it's not that it's, it's hiding anywhere. I just don't think it's a show that any of us went out to look for. I've never heard one of those shows. Oh, really? And they're really quite well done. They've got quite a 
entire performances in each one. Isn't that amazing? And they were only five-minute shows. They really packed a lot in there. And Five-minute show? Five-minute show. Eighteen five-minute shows. Wow. All they were. And they, they packed choir in there and pancake mix and all sorts of neat things. As a little kid, I ate many an empty month pancake. Oh, all of us did. Planet Man. Listen to Planet Man? No. Oh, wait, yes, 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 I have. <clears throat> I think, I think it's Planet Man that I used to hear. It's like actually a first generation radio archive uh, discs from like, well, when they were first putting discs out a long time ago. Well, so I'm really happy to hear that because some of the shows that I have are, the, the quality makes it even hard to listen to. But out of 76, there are quite a few that are okay to listen to, and it's interesting to, uh, to hear it. it. It was not one that I was familiar with at all. And then we have some Jack Webb shows in there, including the Slim Slade. <laughs> you cannot say that one quickly three times. Slim Slade. Uh, earlier saying that was actually a Jack Webb comedy? It was, a, it was one of at least two comedies that he did, and there might be a third out there. Uh, but uh, I can't find any other existing episodes of that show except this one. And I say it's an episode. It was uh, a variety show. And gosh, he was funny. He was really funny. That is so intriguing because he was such a great voice, but he, 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 was, he was always just deadpan and, and doing, uh, doing, you know, I, 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 I saw him in, uh, what was it, it was, um, the D.I., we played the uh, the drill instructor in the army. If, if you've, have you ever seen that kind? I don't think so. Oh my gosh! It's a great, great, great film. Saw it a number of times when I was growing up, and now, thank goodness, you know, it's uh, it's been been released on DVD. If if you ever get a chance to see Jack Webb in the DI, mm -hmm. uh, I highly recommend it. It's it's probably his greatest screen performance. I think it's uh, it's. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Stayed with him. He, he, he was, uh, 
He was brilliant. He was brilliant. And somebody, somebody else was telling me that, uh, I, I forget the actor, but it was an old-time radio actor who had worked with him. And they were, they were you know, they were reading the script, and Jack Webb stopped him and instructed him uh, to speak differently, to speak, you know, the way that he wanted him to, to enunciate and, and the inflection to, to kind of match what he was doing. Uh-huh. He, he knew he was... He, he was shaping and creating something really special and unique. And um, once the, the actors, you know, did what he did, then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it became that, uh, that, that, that unique, identifiable Jack Webb production that, uh, that only he could put together. I mean, it, it, no one else was doing what he was doing. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. Every bit of his work had his hallmark. He was definitely unique, different, and he knew what he wanted. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know what it is? It's genius. There's like Orson Welles, you know, Jack Webb, uh, William Conrad, uh, Mel Blanc. These, these are all folks who are artists uh, working in, in the field of uh, audio drama and comedy, and uh, they, they truly were the geniuses in that field. And uh, nowadays, when it comes to voice work, there's some really, really talented people out there. But uh, I think, just like the movies in the 1930s and 40s went through this peak where you had so much talent focusing on, on those particular uh, uh, art forms, but nowadays, I mean, everything is just so fractured and there's so many different things to do that uh, we'll never go through another period when there'll be as many great voice artists all working together at one time and, and uh, as many uh, great movie uh, makers all working together at one time. So we we, uh, we truly are, are blessed that uh, these shows were put on vinyl and um, are now being digitized and are therefore going to be available for future generations infinitum, in, to infinity, you know? Um, you see, a thousand years from now, folks will still be enjoying that wonderful movie, The Wizard of Oz. They'll still be able to listen to Orson Welles, uh, you know, uh, a great... Uh, Halloween broadcast of War of the Worlds. Folks will be able to listen to Fibber McGee and Molly, Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Buffy's Tavern, you know, The Lone Ranger. These shows, now that they're being digitized, they're, you know, they're, they're preserved forever. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Like, you know, all the great books of literature that, that uh, fill our libraries that, uh, you know, will always be around. These, these radio programs are going to be around to make uh, make people smile and, and laugh and cry and, uh, and and scare the pants off them sometimes, too, where the great lights out episode or uh, suspense. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, because back in the 60s and 70s, when I first got into old-time radio collecting, boy, you know, the, the, the pickings were slim. How did you get into it? Uh, when I was a kid... Um, there was a, uh, a radio station, uh, a non-profit radio station that had a, a 72-hour marathon, and uh, cassette tapes recorders had just come out. And my mom bought a cassette tape recorder and went to Kmart, bought a bunch of 90-minute tapes, and for 72 hours, my mom and I took turns every 45 minutes turning the tape over, putting the new one in, and we captured all 72 hours. 
And uh, so we had, a, you know, quite healthy little library. But, of course, I wanted more. And the only um, programs available, other than the ones I taped off the radio, were uh, record albums. Radiola was putting out record albums. George Garabedian was putting out record albums. They were pretty expensive. Um, you'd, I'd end up paying like $10 to get two shows back then. Wow. But, you know, the, I still have my records, too. They're very, very precious to me. And um, uh, I, I never dreamed of a day where I could go to a computer, go to a website, and pretty much download every Fred Allen show that's in circulation, you know, from darkarchive.org. I mean, it's just it's just a dream come true for an old-time radio fan uh, to have, right now, greater availability, uh, 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 greater accessibility of these programs than when we were first broadcast and put on the air. Because in those days, I mean, unless you were Rudy Valley, and you could have, you know, the Fred Allen show recorded without the songs, which a lot of those discs still exist. I think uh, First Generation Radio Archives put a number of those discs out. Um, you listen to the show or you missed it. Nowadays, um, we can we can pause the show. You know, we, can, we can come back to the show the next day. We can, we can listen to shows in chronological order. We can listen to a whole season, you know, nonstop, show after show. Um, so truly, these, these are the, the, the solid days for old-time radio lovers, where the, the availability of the shows... I mean, honestly, there's so many shows out right now, I couldn't listen to them uh, if I wanted to, you know, because there's so many available now. I have to really be a little choosier in what I listen to, because I could listen to old-time radio shows right now from, from now until the time I die, and I'd only be able to probably listen to a, 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 a small fraction of the shows that are now available. So... Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. What is happening in the old-time radio milieu that is cultivating a new generation of lovers? I think accessibility. I think a lot of folks really love uh, podcasting, and they love listening to uh, audio, drama, and, and, and radio. And nobody does it better than the old-time radio shows. Modern-day uh, audio programs... They're fun, they're good, they're interesting. You know, a lot of them have really up-to-date subjects. But it, it, it's, uh, there's just no comparison to listening to a Campbell's radio program, a Lux show, you know, uh, Academy Award uh, Theater, uh, the Lady Esther, um, suspense, some of the suspense shows. I think, I think it's the, um, the fact that they are now accessible, that uh, I, I think the popularity is going to continue to increase as folks recognize, you know, where these shows are at and how they can get to them and that they can, you know, they can listen to them. I've met a lot of folks um, that have just recently got into old-time radio because, you know, these shows are out there on the net and they're, they're looking for something to listen to. Agreed. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to take that just another step further. You're talking about accessibility, which is extraordinary. I mean, it is just extraordinary. You can put in a word in a search engine and eventually you're going to get to a return that gives you what you want, a, a show that you're looking for, a download, just anything you want is out there. But because it's out there, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're cultivating a new generation. How do you match the accessibility with a new audience? It, it's going to be tough because 
there are so many competing art forms now. There are so many uh, different forms of entertainment that are available to people now. Um, just in, in the, the choice of just television stations. Uh-huh. You, you, you turn on cable and you've got uh, 300 TV stations available to you. Um, there's you know video games that are out there. There's all kinds of different webcasts. But you know what it comes down to is you know the cream always rises at the top, and great comedy is still going to be funny, and it's going to be better than mediocre comedy. Great drama is always going to be more enjoyable than you know a mediocre drama. So these shows, these shows will are are, are going to stand by themselves, but. They're going. They're out there competing with so many other forms of entertainment that uh, they'll they'll never. You know, somebody's saying that you know back, you know, twenty years ago, everybody in America would watch together the final episode of Mash. You know, the next day, you know, everyone would talk about it because we we all went through the experience of watching that that final show together. Those days are gone. You know, we'll, we'll be lucky to have 10 people watching one show together here in a few years. But um, That's a visual medium that has a lot more power than a sound medium. And it, that's the crux of my concern. I'm, I love talking with people like you because you're telling me that, that there's going to be a collision of old-time radio accessibility and people who are hearing it for the first time. I think it captures you. I mean, you, you suddenly go, whoa, this is, this is good. <laughs> oh, this is, this is funny. This, is re- this guy is really, Red Skelton, you know, Bob Hope, uh, Jack Benny, uh, those, the comedy writing, the, even the Amos Mandy programs, such fantastic comedy writing. And, uh, you know, at some point, if you listen to it, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna like it that. But the, the, the visual medium, you're right, the visual medium and the audio medium, those are two, two, two completely different things because the, the imagination factor is, is pretty much gone when it comes to watching movies and television. Everything's provided for you. It's, um, unless someone has a, an active, developed imagination, you're not really going to enjoy old-time radio. In fact, I've had some friends who don't have good imaginations, and they go, oh, it's boring, mm-hmm. you know, because they... they they haven't exercised their imagination to the point where they actually can see what's, 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 you know, create in their imagination, you know, a, a visualization of, uh, of what goes along with what they're hearing. But whenever, and that's why I love going to uh, uh, reps meetings and old-time radio conventions, because you're around 100% of people who have uh, a well-developed, active, and healthy uh, imagination. Yes, and, and it's a magic that extends to other parts of their lives, so that you're not exclusively talking about old-time radio. You're talking one active brain to another, and old-time radio is your bridge. Well, even uh, what Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And, and a lot of folks think that the uh, the World War II generation, they've, they've even called it the, 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 the greatest generation. You know why? Because they were all listening to old-time radio. They didn't realize it, but they were all, every day, every night, uh-huh. exercising their imagination. Yep. And uh, I think I think our country is uh, is, is uh, weaker because uh, the last few generations hadn't been exercising that imagination like uh, 
like Americans did through the, the late 20s, through all through the 30s, all through the 40s, all through the 50s, and boom. You know? Absolutely agree. That's where my major concern is. I tell people periodically, I found old-time radio by accident, and that was about five or six years ago. Excuse me. <laughs> and it was an accident. I was looking for talk show radio opportunities on the Internet, and yesterday USA popped up. And I, I, I never even knew about old-time radio, except that I had heard my grandparents and occasionally my parents talking about Stephen McGee in his closet. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? And Walden and I were talking about that the other night, about how many times or how many how infrequently the closet actually appeared. But it, it was such a memorable thing that people hung on to it. But that was my exclusive exposure to old-time radio until I came across YUSA, and it was by accident. And that's how I got interested in it or even knew what was out there. So it, it's always been a question for me. How do other people find it? How will they find it? How are we going to make it easier for them to find it? Well, I tell you, the sites like archive.org, and, uh, uh, which you know has all the shows up there for free, Mm -hmm. um, is is a great place because not only are old-time radio shows there, they have a great archive of uh, other, you know, audio content and video content and literary content uh, trying to make a, make a place uh, for folks to find it. So I, I, I think little by little, um, I think old-time radio is going to increase in popularity, but once again, it, it will never achieve the heights that it did when there was a, a radio in everyone's living room and probably other rooms in the house, and that was the, the main medium of, of communication across America. But, um, and you know what? A lot of times I'll look, um, I'll see like a, an old radio log from, you know, like the 1930s, and I'll look and, and I'll see all these shows that, uh, I don't know, they don't seem really that, that appealing. But then you get to, like, the nighttime lineup, and then you see, oh, Fred Allen, Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Red Skelton, Suspense, The Shadow. Um, it seems like um, the really great shows, uh, one of the reasons they're around is because people really loved them, and, and they collected them, and they saved all these materials. Um, so I think there was a process where the shows that weren't that really great weren't saved. So, um, I think one of the reasons all these great shows exist is because uh, the, the love that people had for these shows, you know, uh, led them to, you know, um, preserve them and save them, while uh, the shows that, that weren't that great uh, probably went the way that they probably should have gone and uh, into the dustbin, into the dustbins of time. Well, I'm, I'm, I would disagree with that. Because and making it okay because they were terrible shows. I think Rob does 
the stuff that maybe wasn't really terrible, maybe it was just boring, <laughs> or, or it wasn't well written, or it wasn't well acted. Uh-huh. Um, uh, that that stuff I, I can do without. But but something so terrible to the point that it's delightful. Oh boy, I'm in line to I'm I'm in line to hear that. Oh, I'd love to hear stuff like that. If I go back to my pedantic attitude or, or personality here, who decides what's terrible and what's not terrible? You know what I think? I think uh, I think everyone does. That's right. For for uh, for for example, like the, the Wizard of Oz. I'm sure there's a person here or there that, that doesn't like it, and thinks it's not very good. Mm-hmm. You know what? Over time, it, it, everybody just seems to love that movie, and uh, I think when when everyone loves something for such a long time, I think there's, there's no question, no doubt that we're we're we're, we're dealing with something special, something something where you know a whole bunch of people really put everything they could into it, and it just worked. It's like it's like uh, making a cake, you know. Sometimes you can put all the ingredients in, and it and it's just perfect. Sometimes it's not. Um, but when it's perfect, you know it. You just you can feel it. It's it's uh, it, it touches your heart. It touches your soul. It makes tears come out of your eyes. It makes you laugh, you know, f- from your very heart. Uh, or or it, it it you know it scares you. You know, scares you out of your seat. Um, I, I I think it when it when it when it really. When it really touches you, um, you know it, and and you know that that the, the artists who work so hard to put that together, you know, what, what do they call it? Wait, wait, they, oh, they say, oh, they nailed it, boy, they nailed it. Mhm. But what what you nail and what you like? Oh, let me let me rephrase that. How many times have you said, oh boy, I really like this show, and somebody says you've got to be kidding me. Or reverse. You know, I've heard a lot of radio programs that I recognize as being great, but yeah, they're just not my cup of tea. A lot of programs are like uh, uh, soap opera type old radio shows. And I know one collector who just loves them and complains about the fact that uh, there's not a great amount of uh, the soap opera uh, from radio uh-huh. exists. And he, he's always lamenting that, and I think that's kind of unfair. It's not my favorite genre, but when I listen to it, I recognize that there's, there's very talented writers, there's very talented uh, actors and actresses, sound effects people all putting together. Um, and while I may not enjoy listening to it, oh, I can't deny that it's the grip that they really are great shows. I'm not one of, I'm not one of those people that if I don't enjoy something, I'm going to say it, it's, it's, you know, oh, that's no good. I'll just say, it's not my cup of tea. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, you know, I, 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 recognize, uh, I recognize the greatness of it. I love recognizing the non-greatness of some things as well. One of them is on the list that I'm going to send to you. Which was that one? What's that one? Elsa Fatima. I have one episode that I located with Basil Bestbone. Oh, he's one of my favorites. Oh, I just got them watching a, a film called Sin Takes a Holiday with him and Constance Bennett. And uh, he's he's fantastic. He was my favorite Sherlock Holmes. Uh, him with Nigel Bruce in the movies and also uh, on the radio with our, our, our friend, old friend Harry Bartell. Uh-huh. And, uh, and also Roma Wine. Yep. But, uh, oh, Basil Rathbone. So what, what part? 
part did he play in, in, in that uh, program? It was actually, he played himself, and it was a dreadful program, <laughs> and it was so dreadful you're going to live it. So now, now, did he rise above the material, or did he embrace the dreadfulness and, and immerse himself in it? it? It was a dreadful plot, it was a dreadful concept, it was dreadful execution on, on the part of a lot of people around him. He did the best he could in a role that sounded so foreign to him that it, it probably pained him every day. <laughs> I think one of the most joyful experiences for him was when the show ended. And this is what the series, everybody, when he left Sherlock home, because you want to try something different, this is what the series he did. Well, you, you have to you have to hand it to him for being brave and uh, you know trying something new. I mean, he sounded like he was enjoying his role, but in my heart, I just knew he got home at night and said, "What the heck am I doing? Kidding <laughs> <laughs> me? I don't need to eat that bad." Anyway, I could only find one, but it's there, and you will have it, and I think you'll enjoy listening to it. Thank you so much. Oh, I love Dazarath, but anything he does, I, uh, I I would enjoy. He is. Even if, it, even if it's a, 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 a train wreck of dreadfulness. <laughs> I love train wrecks of dreadfulness. Sherlock <laughs> Holmes Marathon on today, it must have been Turner, which, uh, maybe Hallmark, which, which channel does not run advertising. That's TCM. Okay, well, that's where it was then. They had six movies in a row. Yeah, I I, uh, I went out and splurged and bought the uh, the box set of uh, the Basil the Rathbone uh, uh, Nigel Bruce films because I wanted to support the, you know, the restoration of the films because they, uh, they really painstakingly put together, you know, from all the pieces from UCLA Film and Television Archives and... Uh, from the original studio print, they put, put together really the, the most beautiful uh, copies uh, of those films that they're ever going to look. Tell me what you think about, now this is television and old time radio, but they did cross over, especially with people like Basil Rathbone. What are your thoughts about the colorizing that Ted Turner did to us? You know, I, I really, because when they colorize a film, they have to, they have to restore it. Uh -huh. um, in most cases, when they colorize something, they also make a beautiful, pristine um, black and white copy available. Um, they've done that with It's a Wonderful Life. They've done that with um, uh, a large number of Laurel and Hardy's uh, films from the Hal Roach Studios. And I don't ever watch the colorized versions, but when I um, when I watch the black and white versions, they look pristine. They look they look beautiful. So while I'll never watch a colorized film. Um, I recognize that when they colorize it, they have to restore the restore the film somewhat. So you're gonna you're gonna get a pretty good black and white copy. Um, I don't mind. You know, I, I actually have a couple friends that when I talk about black and white movies, they go, "Black and white? I'm looking at a black and white movie." And it's like, oh god. Okay, fine. You know, black and white movies are like great old time radio shows to me. There, there's nothing. I love camp. I love Charlie Moore. I love The Thin Man. I love Sherlock Holmes. And that one was certainly not camp, but in the old black and white, um, I, don't, I don't know what to call it. There's, there's, there's this group 
that are just plain entertaining when you sit down and watch them. You don't have to pretend. With uh, uh, Myrna Roy and uh, William Powell. Gosh, I, I wouldn't want to watch those in color. No, no. And when I said what he did to us or, or what the colorizing did to us, I, I thought, well, that let the cat out of the bag about myself right away. I, no, it, it never did take off the way he had, he had wanted it to. You can tell a colorized movie from a, a traditional color movie. So, you know, I mean, people, everybody doesn't walk around in a green dinner jacket, you know. Oh, no, it, it looks, it looks, some, you know what, it takes me out of the movie. Because I'm, I'm looking at where the color separates and uh, and I'm looking at the unnatural colors that, that pop up from time to time. And I've, I've always said that black and white movies were created, written, and directed and produced black and white, not for oh, yeah. So there, there's a, a, I'll use the word collision again, there's a collision between the art of creating a black and white movie and the, the non-art of painting it. Why would you want to paint the Mona Lisa a different color? You wouldn't. And, uh, I, you know, I go to a number of film festivals and I hear over and over and over from filmmakers that, you know, the, the studios, they don't want black and white movies. It's, it's harder for them to sell. They, they discourage people from making black and white films. Um, and from time to time, someone does make a black and white film, and they'll always talk about the difficulties they had trying to make their film black and white. It's, uh, I don't understand making a new film that it would be an extremely hard sell to... Put it on my uh, my iPod or my Walkman, 
and uh, listen to it as they go. When are you going to get serious about this? <laughs> dear me, dear me. I don't have a serious bone in my body. I, I was born with a body full of silly bones. <laughs> Just a, a heads up, if, if I disappear, I have not hung up on you. I'm on a battery phone, and if the battery poops, so will I. All right. Well, make sure you get that Energizer Bunny uh, uh, batteries next time. Well, it's, it's doing pretty well. I've been on since, what, 12.30? So this is three hours. That's not too bad. You don't court. You're doing court. Let me, let me throw a question out here. For, for Walden, uh, first, uh, you're on a desert island. Yeah. You can only take one old-time radio program with you. You can take all the shows you want from that series. Oh, my. But only one is the Desert Island question. Well, I, I think I go through phases right now. You're going to be on that island for a long time. A long time, okay. Uh, are, you, are you saying 30 years? Well, how long is Gilligan uh, on the island? For well, they only, t they only, you know, televised that for three years. Okay. But they you know, they've been for ever since I was, before I was born, since 1964, so... So 45 years. Well, if I'm going to say 45 years, then I'm going to be safe. I would say for McGee and Molly because I know I have 900 episodes. Because you can't hold a 15-minute episode. So I know I'll have enough variety to last my 40 years on an island. I like the way you think. But uh, I, I also adore Don Quinn's other series, The Halls of Ivy. And I must have uh, have listened to those episodes at least three, four times each. I just adore. Uh, I just think Don Quinn was just the master of old-time radio comedy writing that he could write two separate types of genre and it'd be perfect. You know, Fibber Molly, um, Middle, Middle West, Down to Earth, Neighbors. Then the halls, the intellectual, but they're a common trait with both shows. But you could tell that both the husband and wife loved each other. Yeah. And you could tell they had the 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 people that they show generally saw every week. Those two common elements, and I I, I love that about both series. So if I'm gonna be on an island for 40 years, I'll I'll I'll, I'll be happy with Phil McGee and Molly. They can't go wrong with Falls of Ivy, though. No. Ronald Coleman and Benita Coleman, they, they were just fantastic. Oh, yeah. How about you, Patricia? I take Super McGee and Molly. There's, I, I, I love the detective shows. I, you know, if you, if you wave the Sam Spader or Philip Marlowe in front of me, I'd, I'd be like a little puppy saying, oh, please, 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 could I have it? But when you listen to one of them, you have listened to it. When you listen to something like Fibber McGee and Molly, each time you hear it again, there's something different in it that you notice. So it never gets old. I would stay with that. All right, Brian. What about you, my lad? Um, Patricia, what was the name of that uh, Basil Rathbone show? The which bench? I, I didn't hear you quite well. He wants to know the name of the Basil Rathbone show. Oh, um... You want to listen to that? Over and over and over. If I'm on an island, I'm going to be going crazy anyway. And I think that one would probably drive me crazy quicker than any other program. 
No, no, I, in all seriousness, wow. Now that I actually have to answer the question, that's not a fair question. Who asked this question? How'd that guy get in this room? I did. Get out of there. I don't, I don't like this question. Oh, um... So you can blame everything on me. Uh, <laughs> I, you know... I'd probably choose Amos and Andy. Great choice. You know, lots of shows available. Great comedy writing. Uh, great comedy performances. A show which, you know, really had a lot of heart. Um, it's a show which, um, today, it's, it's almost like blacklisted. It's, um, it's, it's, it's dynamite. You know, it, it can really upset some people. But um, if they really listened to it, they'd, they'd realize it wasn't a show that was really spiteful or hateful. It was just good-natured fun. Um, and it was, it was one of the shows that really helped... I mean, I, I've listened to the early 1929 shows and listened to it go through its metamorphosis into a, a, a sitcom formula format, which is still copied to this day. Um... Uh, is it Charles Carell and was it Freeman? Uh, Freeman Godkin. Freeman Godkin. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were pioneers, and uh, they're folks who, who really they're they're two people on old time radio who are set aside from the rest of old time radio, and they can't really be celebrated. You know, I, I think it's kind of sad. It's sad. So, um, right, I, I, I know I know I know the um, the sensitivity issue in many ways is, is justified but I still love those shows you know uh, I, I um, and I love those two guys I love I love uh, Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell uh, they just uh, you know, they, they touched my heart they, they made me laugh so many times that uh, you know I, I just uh, I'd, want, I'd want to have them with me out on the island because they're kind of out on the island themselves I don't know I think you made a great choice. It's another set of shows that you can listen to and hear something different and also never get tired of listening to it. It was and always laugh. Always laugh. You're, you're always guaranteed uh, to laugh out loud uh, with the great comedy writing and the great comedy performances from, from that, that show. Uh-huh. I guess I like, I guess thinking about, oh, we're talking about shows, and to think about the comedy shows of all time, right? They did more than just laugh. Sometimes they just tug at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know, I'm, I'm just a big old sentimentalist, and I just love that, that you come across a comedy show that has a heart. And I just, it, it, it sort of makes the characters more well-rounded. It makes... So I, it, when you, when you I, guess, I guess when you, when you create characters that you truly can love, and you make that connection, you know, you, you, it's, it's going to be uh, ten times more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Okay, we settled that. Yeah. I'm going on my island. <laughs> but, but I tell you, I, you know, uh, if I ended up with Jack Benny on that island, I'd, I'd be just as happy. We have an awful lot to choose from. Yeah. Brian, does, uh, Robin, do you have Brian's address? Nope, I don't have his address, so you need, uh, Brian, I, I need you to email your address to Patricia. I, 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Oh, yes. Monsters, <laughs> Monsters, sorry. I'll, 
call me email that to you. Thank you too. Thank you for the the the, uh, the old time radio uh, programs. I, I love getting old time radio programs. And her e- listen to something new and something I never heard of, especially the Rathbone show. And you know her email address? Right now? You know her email address? Uh, Patricia at uh, <laughs> yesterdayusa.com. <laughs> Wilson is the only one who lets me come out to play. (laughs) I can't have an email address. It is, one word, Florida Writer. R-I-D-E-R? W-R-I-T-E-R. Oh, I gotcha. I never thought of that. It is a homonym, isn't it? Florida Writer at Hotmail.com. Uh, Hotmail. I love my free Hotmail. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. You can set up pseudonyms up there and make people believe you earn a living or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, wait, what, what, yours is Brian Zazilla, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Brian Zilla, because, uh, you know, when you go to Hotmail and you want to get your name, of course, you know, Brian is already taken. Uh, how about Brian 105? That's already taken. So I said, oh, I love that movie Godzilla. Oh, I could be Brian Zilla. And, of course, it says, that name is free. I go, oh, cool.
appreciate being able to spend time talking to folks who uh, who get it, who uh, who recognize how, how wonderful uh, old time radio, uh, comedy, drama, mystery uh, uh, truly is, and uh, and the folks listening in, you know, we, everyone everyone here, you know, we uh, we we all know we all have great taste. I think it's pretty special stuff. It, indeed, it is. Patricia, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Brian. And we're going to play Patricia's favorite show. Ah, yes. So as Patricia disappears and turns on her internet, Brian, uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow night. You know, I think I think we'll I think we ought to have you on because Hagen and I will introduce the Wizard of Oz tomorrow night. At 9 o'clock, West Coast, and please, everybody, put that in your calendar, so you won't forget. And then I expect you to be on Henderson after the show. I will be there, and I am so excited. I'm, I'm going to spend tomorrow emailing folks and uh, yep. telling them all to tune in, because if, if you love old-time radio and you love The Wizard of Oz, there's nowhere else you want to be uh, on Sunday night than uh, listening to Walden's program, and uh, probably... I, you know, I didn't direct it. I was just lucky enough to be in it. Probably one of one of the greatest uh, radio programs of the 21st century. How about that? Oh. All right, guys. Okay. Good night, Patricia. Good night, Walden. Good night, Brian. Thank you so much. Good night, Good night Patricia. <laughs> and there she goes. And Brian, I'll talk to you soon. And now, everybody, here is. Birmingham Molly Show. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. two things are you most anxious to have in your home? Aren't they beauty and cleanliness? Well, think for a moment how easily and inexpensively you can have both beauty and cleanliness just with an occasional application of genuine Johnson's wax to your floors, furniture, and woodwork. A rich, mellow, polished wax surface is a thing of beauty in itself. The wax brings out the grain and beauty of the wood. It adds a soft luster to leather, linoleum, and metal surfaces. And, of course, this tough wax film protects these surfaces against wear, dirt, and moisture. Dust and dirt do not adhere readily to a wax-polished surface. So cleaning is not only easier, but a waxed home is actually cleaner and more sanitary. Johnson's Wax is of the very finest quality and long-wearing. The cost is really very little. So why not practice protective housekeeping in your home with genuine Johnson's Wax? Dealers everywhere carry it. Are certain 
certain people who simply won't admit that nature does anything right. There are the kind who gild cattails, paint whose little tootsie are you on the shells of baby turtles, and clip poodle dogs to look like anemic lions. Here's one of those people now, as we meet Trevor McGee and Molly. Hey, Fred, how much you charge me to paint this Christmas tree white? Why do you want it white, McGee? Christmas, everybody. Uh, so glad we have wonderful callers. Thanks to my good friend Patricia from Florida, who I dearly love. She is one sweet gal to do this and send all of you out there. Thanks to Brian uh, Henderson for calling in, and Fred from Vermont, and Ron from Hawaii, and Warren from Texas. Thank you all, guys. Thank you for the Radio Historical Association for Colorado for uh, many a monthly show. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the station, and and please join me on Sunday. Lord willing, we'll have more goodies and good fellowship and good time to be with everybody. Great, this is a great opportunity to be blessed and have friends out there. And like, you know, we're just a big happy family here. That's what sort of what makes us unique. And I'm glad you all can enjoy what we do. So, so let's see. Get tuned in. So may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. I love you very much out there. Merry Christmas, everybody. Love you all. To call it a day They've burst your pretty balloon And taken the moon It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind up. The piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim You danced and dreamed through the night It seemed to be right Just being with him Now you must wake up All dreams must end Take off your makeup The party's over It's all over My friend 
Hope you're all doing well. Uh, what is it? Sunday, December the 27th, 2009. Hope you all had a great Christmas and a wonderful Happy New Year here in a few days. We're going to have a mixed program tonight in terms of uh, looking back at December 1941. And we have a special holiday often from Reps in 90 Minutes and plus Dr. Michael Beal. So the first hour will be featuring shows that were heard Sunday, December 28th, year two, uh, 1941. First will be the Jack Benny Show, then One Man's Family. We'll talk to Dr. Mike, and then at 9 o'clock, West Coast will give Brian Hager the call. We'll talk to Brian uh, about the rep's presentation of Wizard of Oz. Then should talk to my friend Brian Henderson, who was in the cast afterwards. Then we'll go back and feature Monday, December 29th, 1949, Lux Radio Theater, starring Bob Hope. And then the rest of the evening, if we got time, we'll fill out with more Christmas shows. But first, let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the station. Bless all the listeners. Thank you for this wonderful Christmas season. And bless the upcoming new year. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Jack Benny from December the 28th, 1941. The Jell-O program brought to you by Jell-O and Jell-O Pudding, starring Jack Benny. With Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with, We did it before and we can do it again. from the Broadway show Banjo Eyes, played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who gave a big party last Thursday at his home in Beverly Hills. 
a host whose Christmas dinner was the greatest thing since Harper's Bazaar Diet, Jack Benny. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and John, for a man who ate 15 stalks of celery, and heaven knows how many when I wasn't looking, you're a fine one to complain. But after all, Jack, that's all there was to eat, celery and ham hocks. <laughs> ham hock? I had turkey. You had ham hocks. Sticking that feather duster in them didn't fool anybody. <laughs> Look, it, it fooled Dennis because he asked for the bread. <laughs> anyway, Don, ham hocks are marvelous. I'm crazy about them. Well, I'm glad of that. Everybody knows them. Anyone else? Well, let's see. You can put down Chunk Kai Shek. Nice fella. Believe me, he's just as tough as he is to pronounce. You know, there's a lot more of them, but Sam will give you the names later. Well, gotta be leaving. So long, Sam. So long, old-timer. Here we go. So long, 41. So long, Columbia. Keep them flying. That's the way it ends on that recording. Now, we're going to move over to still Sunday, December 28, 
Well, I've been with you in spirit. I listen to your show all the time. I listen to all the holiday shows you guys have been broadcasting. It's been, it's been fun. Capsule. Been a little bit busy on Sunday nights, but I hope they plan on getting back. So I thought, you know, in preparation for that, why don't we just, you know, run a few special rub shows uh, in, in honor of the holiday, particularly this Christmas weekend we just had. And last week, I know you ran the uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That is true, and tonight and next Sunday we have two special presentations. Uh, next week, put in your calendar that hopefully Pinocchio will be here. This is for something Brian produced back in 2007 at Showcase, and tonight we're going to feature a presentation that just happened in June. Tell me about it, Brian. But the Wizard of Oz, okay. Yeah. Well, the Wizard of Oz was one of those program was one of those features that we, you know, you and I penciled in. You know, we thought, hey, why don't we go ahead and, uh, you know, really expand our horizons and try to do this uh, this Wizard of Oz uh, uh, presentation uh, on Friday night of the uh, showcase weekend. A full blown out musical. A full blown out, blown out musical, and I know that we were trying to go out and get directors who turned us like the audience. Okay, great. But we can extend, but I think what's, what's a testament to it is the fact that, you know, the background story of it is, you know, when, we, when we're doing the showcase presentation, we pretty much only have about two hours to rehearse a show. I think we gave this one two and a half, almost three, but in reality, because some, most of the main actors were tied up in other presentations, it really was only a two-hour show, a two-hour, uh, excuse me, rehearsal. Right, and we touched upon that a little bit last night, and, uh, and Brian Henderson mentioned last Bob Brian, I mean Bob uh, Hastings, who played the wizard, we just chat around, oh, Alf, it's just a flop, it's just a flop. Mm-hmm. Let's just go have a good time. Yes, exactly. I think everybody was like, let's just go have a good time, enjoy it. You know, and I know that when we gave it to Gwen McNeil, and she goes, she said, now, oh my goodness, this is an epic, as you know, we, we started out, uh, for better or for worse, with Baby Snook. You know, Baby and Baby Snooks and Daddy, or, you know, so we had to re- rehearse that, and we had to, you know, there's actually, Dave read some spots, Dave Selig read some commercial spots and stuff, and we had a guy, you know, doing a little jingle, and, you know, all that was pretty much done unrehearsed, because the focus had to be on the actors in The Wizard, because, you know, the, you know, you start going through the script and make, making contacts, and, and hearing the music coming, like, okay, how do we, you know, you know, you have much time to adapt to this music that they were supposed to be working with. It's like they came in, did it, and it's like they woke up in the rehearsal, the rehearsal's over already? Oh, and so they pretty much had to win it. And I think that was the beauty of it. I agree. Let's run over a little 
little bit of cash. Gwen McMillan, who played Harriet in Armish Brooks, uh, she was our director. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very young, talented actress named Kate McKnight, who was 18, to play Dorothy. Mm-hmm. We had, let's see here, the Scarecrow, that was Gloria's husband, Ron, right? Uh, Dave Selvig, who was a professional actor in Seattle, played the Tin Man. The lovable Brian Henderson played the lion, a good, talented voice over actor. We had... I recognize, though. <laughs> <laughs> he not come out of the show yet. He's just discovering this town, so... That's right. Well, I'm telling him, hey, you need to go out there, and if you're listening, Brian, everybody agrees with me, you need to get out there and get, get doing some stuff, because he's an absolute talent, whether he was doing Junior the Mean Little Kid or the lion, or whatever he did that weekend, he just blew us away. Uncle Bob Hastie, who is R.C. Andrews in radio, mm-hmm. uh, played the wizard. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Ripley uh, played, let's see here. The Wicked Witch. The Wicked Witch. Six. And Baby Snooks. Um, <laughs> Paul Hanger, a professional actor uh, in uh, TV. And also in um, Focus on the Family's uh, radio series, Adventures in Odyssey. Played uh, Daddy. She also played the MC. Yep. Um, Heather Woodward Perry, uh, professional TV actress, played the Good Witch or the Good Fairy. I forget whatever we call it. And that that uh, basic cast. It was epic. Uh, we uh, did a combination of two things. Um, we had a good friend Patricia Stewart uh, type some of the stuff for us, the, uh, the baby snook material, and we had, uh, thanks to the good people at Fake Radio, gave us the basic radio script of Lux. We combined, combined both those, and then you integrated both the live music that Randy and Chris McMillan gave you, and the movie score that you found through Rhino Records and produced the big event. Yeah, yeah. What we did, and you know, it's funny because when we were going to rehearsal, you know, we designed it for certain things to be with the scoring from the movie, with some scores we had, uh, and then certain things were for Randy. But when Randy came in, there were a few times that Gloria uh, actually um, deleted the the score we brought in and gave it to Randy because he was going to do something that would work so much better with the live actors. And you know, I think for one one thing, for instance, was you know when they're singing. Uh, hail, hail, the witch is dead, ding, dang, the witch is dead, and all that. That was usually going to be uh, scored under, and Randy ended up doing it live, which actually had a lot better results. And that was due to Gloria McMillan, you know, just coming in. And, and Gloria was a great director there. I mean, she came in, and you could tell we were all stressed. We're like, how are we going to, to do these? I mean, there's a lot of music in this, is there not? There's a ton. I don't think any radio recreation ever been done this way. Yeah, it was in two hours. The guys came in, looked at their scripts, the singers were ready, and they like, and, and, and actually had to get pulled in there to kind of guide it because, you know, we had looked at it and to help these guys understand what, what, where they were supposed to come in on the music and, and, and such. We helped Gloria with that because there's just no way that you could figure that out in, in that quick of time on your own. Gloria also did some editing on the fly in the rehearsal, so... In other words, Brian gave like an hour and 15 minutes worth of script material and they did some editing on the end 
get to make it work. And definitely, yeah, she cut off, and when it, when the show, when the wizard play is over, it ends. We don't go back to the Lex host, and, and at that point, and when you listen to it, I think that makes absolute sense. And also, Brian included uh, commercial jingles and some commercial spots at the beginning to try to set up how you might be tuning in and listening to the radio station. Yeah, whether it works or not, I'll let you guys <laughs> we're trying to give, you know, the guys that are there, trying to give them kind of a, a friendly experience, bring, you know, bring, bring the show out to them. You, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're at a radio recreation, if the show doesn't jump off the page, people start nodding. And the idea is to constantly keep something going for them, whether it's a song, whether it's action, your real explosion, something going. And, and, and I think that this one certainly did it. Nobody was falling asleep on this one. No. Any other comments before we roll the CD? I don't think so. I think that's good, and I think I just want to say that, uh, that uh, you know, the cast does a wonderful job. I mean, really, uh, there's three things here that, that I think make this work. It's cast, the music, our director. That's pretty much it. It certainly wasn't me, and it certainly wasn't the time we had to work in. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Bye-bye. And our uh, good friend, Brian Hager. And now, here is represents the Wizard of Oz. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Keep your tiles tuned to this station for the Lux Radio Theater, which follows momentarily. This is WJSV Washington. Roma Wines, that's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines, those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness in entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant. If any week in the year deserves the name Hospitality Week, this is it, says famed hostess Elsa Mack. with Baby Snooks was directed by Gloria McMillan for the Radio Enthusiasts of Puget Sound Showcase 2009. In our cast, you heard Catherine McKnight, <laughs> Bob Hastings, <clears throat> Bob Hastings, <laughs> Elizabeth Ripley, Paul Herlinger, Ron Cocking, Jen Olivier, Anna Denton, Sean Uminski, and yours truly, David Selvig. Live music was performed by Randy and Chris McMillan. With sound effects by David Person. 
and engineering by Jack Taylor and Penny Swanberg. Were you working, Brian? Okay, Brian, Brian Hager. Well, they just keep getting better and better and better. What a wonderful event. Wow. And there you go. Now with the uh, reps big presentation. And I'm going to see if we can get uh, hopefully all Brian Hendrickson's around and we'll see, get a comments on uh, what we just heard. And uh, next will be the Lux Radio Theater. So we'll move back to December of 1941. It'll be Monday, December 29th, 1941, starring Bob Hope. And then we'll feature some Christmas programs. But I'll if we can get a hold of Brian, get his memories of being the Cowley Lion. And hope you enjoyed that presentation. Brought back a lot of memories for me. Uh, my Sager and I uh, thought about it, worked on it, and uh, how I thought it turned out pretty well. So let me give old Henderson a call on the air, and we'll see if he's available. If not, maybe we'll get him later. And uh, we'll see what happens there. So this is just the USA on Wall Shoes, and we're going to see if we can get the Kyrie Lion on here, if he's available. If not, we'll talk to him a little, way, a little later. Anyway, that was a great presentation. Uh, next week, we'll feature Jimmy the Cricket in Pinocchio, and starring Eddie Carroll and the late Donna Buca was in it. And that was what we produced a few years ago. Back in 2007. Anyway, I think Brian might be away, so that's okay. And we'll talk to him more later on that. So I'm going to be in the chat room, everybody. And so if you're in, you can join me. So that is, we're going to move over to Monday, uh, December 29th, 1941. And here we go. presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Bob Hope and Hattie Lamar in The Bride Came C.O.D. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from America since the birth of this nation. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Jeanette MacDonald, Brian Ahern, and Jean Raymond in Smiling Through. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood and wishing you a happy and triumphant New Year.
Ladies and gentlemen, editors of Motion Picture Daily have informed us that the Lux Radio Theater has been selected again this year as the leading dramatic program on the air in the annual poll conducted by Motion Picture Daily. All the radio editors throughout the country participated in this poll, and to all of them we say thank you. Bob Hope appeared tonight through the courtesy of the President Company and is now seen on the screen in the Paramount Technicolor picture, Louisiana Purchase. Eddie Lamar appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Tune in next Monday night to hear Jeanette McDonald, Brian Ahern, and Gene Raymond in Smiling Through. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers, and your announcer has been Melville Roy. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that wraps up our uh, look back of December 1941. We're going to send out two Fibber McGee and Molly shows to my good friend Patricia. First one will be Christmas Eve, 1946. Second one will be December 20th, 1949. Here we go. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, B. Benedict, and Mary Hannah Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Bill O'Neill's Orchestra. of coming into your home on Christmas Eve. In fact, we figured it out this morning and discovered that it's happened only three times in the past 11 years. WLAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago. Okay. Now here's a classic show that I really enjoy during Frank Sinatra. Remember, a Hallmark card will best express your perfect taste, your thoughtfulness. The makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you the true and heartwarming story of a lonely young man's Christmas Eve in a small American town, starring Frank Sinatra. Children, uh, Santa said something to you and you said... Yes, we'll tell him. What did he say? He told us to be sure and wish you and Mommy a Merry Christmas. Yeah, wasn't that sweet of him? Now, girls, you're all tucked in, you've seen Santa, and you have everything you want. So go right to sleep. Good night. Good night. Good night, babies. Daddy. Yes, dear? Can I have a drink of water? Go to sleep! Ladies and gentlemen, this is Phil Harris. The Rexall Drug Company, Alice and I, and our entire cast want to thank you so much for listening to our show and wish you the best Christmas you've ever had. Merry Christmas, folks. And our grateful thanks to our pal, 
Jack Benny for being with us. Thank you, Jackson. Good night, Christmas everybody. Christmas seals you buy once a year will help protect you from tuberculosis all the year. Use Christmas seals generously. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from... This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Everybody, I mean the good old Jesus Christ bless you, and this is yesterday USA. Love you all. It's time to call it a day. They've burst your pretty balloon and taken the moon away. It's time to The masquerade Just make your mind up The piper must be paid The party's over The candles flicker and Danced and dreamed through the night It seemed to be right Just being with him Now you must wake up All dreams must end The party's over. It's all over.
can thrill me any more away trips, seagoing ships, not half as thrilling as touching your nothing that can quite fulfill me any Broadway shows, evening clothes, you have more glamour than any of once I used to dream I uh, told Bill about Stuart Keenan, got off at 5 after 8 on uh, Monday, December the 28th, year 2009.